scary movie. Fear is defined as a feeling of agitation caused by the presence or imminence of danger. Why do you think people believe in ghosts? For fun? That's my other brother, Daryl. You don't listen too good, do you, boy? You and your friends don't want to go to Camp Blood. They didn't heed the warning. <laughs> oh, guys, this is awesome. They ignored the screams that echoed through the woods that night. Locals made up to scare the tourists away. He's real, I'm telling you. He killed my friends and now he's gonna kill me and he's gonna kill you. of this program, no one under 17 will be permitted to wear 3D glasses. If you have a taste for terror, camp out at Camp Blood. Fantastic Flicks, home of the 99 cent rental. That was sick, Jordan. Really sick. Why do you like this stuff? Come on, relax. It's only a movie. Slate for the camera. 
this thorny temple. The red eye of Satan is always watching. Ladies and gentlemen, and welcome back to Inside Movies Galore. I'm your host, David Stregi, and here in the room with me, I have uh, director Brad Sykes. Um, why don't you tell me, um, uh, first of all, where are you from, and uh, how did you get involved in the independent film, uh, film business, and uh, what is the name of your production company? Well, I'll start with where I'm from. Uh, I'm originally from Virginia Beach, Virginia. I moved a lot as a kid. I was born in Norfolk, which is right next to Virginia Beach, who, for those who know the area. And then I moved all over Virginia and lived in Georgia for a while. But I say Virginia Beach because that's where I actually started to take filmmaking seriously. Yeah, this was when I was in high school. Started to make shorts and actually some features with my friends, uh, you know, shooting in the backyard, shooting in the neighborhood you know, anywhere we could go, getting a, getting in trouble with the cops a few times <laughs> while we're filming, you know, that type of thing. Okay. Uh, so that's, that's where I'm from. And uh, I got, yeah, I got, you know, into filmmaking then in my kind of late teens. And then I went on to film school at Boston University. So I was there for four years. And then, you know, this is the short version, I guess, but I did an internship in my third between my third and fourth year of film school, and that was uh, actually at Paramount uh, Pictures out here in, in Los Angeles, and I worked on the movie Kids the Girls, and that was a very interesting experience, and while I was out here, I, you know, met other people in the film industry, and uh, one of those people, very significant, surely at the time, was uh, Jeff Burr, who's uh, directed a lot of horror films, and I was a fan of his work, so I uh, started spending time around Jeff and he brought me onto a couple of projects and then everything just sort of uh, moved forward from there. I, I did move to LA right after graduation. So I was, you know, I've been in, actually I've been in LA now for uh, 20 plus years, but that's how I, that's how everything sort of started for me in terms of getting, you know, getting into the business. Okay. Uh, very cool. Um, so, uh, so you said you uh, started out with Kiss the Girls. Um, I see you uh, uh, you worked on uh, uh, worked with uh, Full Moon a little bit. Um. I did. I did. Yeah. Well, that was that goes that kind of connects with Jeff. Like, I the first movie I, I was a fan. I should say first of all, I was a fan of Full Moon. You know, uh, in the '90s and there. You know, when they were doing their, I guess you could say their Paramount period. Um, and, uh, you know, things like Dollman and, and Subspecies and things like that. And uh, Jeff was doing movies with them at the time, and he got hired to do a movie in Romania called Phantom Town, which was a kid's, kind of a kid's horror movie. And he, I'd worked with him previous to that on another film called Spoiler, and that worked out real well. We had a lot of fun, and he said, how would you like to come to Romania? So I was... And, and I knew about the Romanian films. I knew about the, the subspecies movies and things like that. So I was already 
kind of aware of all that. And so I was very excited to get to be involved in that. And uh, I went over there in the summer of uh, 97. And I was over there for about three months or so, pretty much most of the summer, really. And, um, and then when I came back, I did end up working on a few other full moon movies uh, that were shot here in L.A., in different capacities, and um, it was cool. It was fun, and, and I got to meet a lot of people who uh, I was a fan of their work. You know, a lot of, got to meet a lot of directors and other you know effects people, and and so on. So yeah, it was it was a fun time, and the the company was still making, I would say, more you know higher end, legitimate movies <laughs> uh, than what they've sort of gone into later on. You know, um, but but back then it was. It was a pretty fun time, and there was a lot going on in the office. I mean, there was probably, on an average month, there were probably two or two or you know, maybe two or three movies. There'd be like a movie in production, a movie in casting, a movie in post. I mean, it was just a constant flow of of activity, you know? Oh, yeah. So if you were interested, you were willing to work, and you were interested, you could... Like, I worked in post-production a little bit. I worked on editing dailies on, on, on a film called The Creeps, and then I... I worked on a movie called Murder Cycle, which was a um, kind of an alien motorcycle movie, you know. <laughs> and uh, now I worked on a movie called The Killer Eye. So there were all these different movies that were that were just, you know, there was a constant flow back then. So you could uh, if you could get in there and and you know uh, get in with the swing of things. There was a lot to do. Definitely, definitely. Uh, so. Um, earlier you mentioned you started uh, doing some short, uh, shorts. I'm going to mention some titles here. Um, uh, the Blood of Another and Tears. Why don't you tell me about those uh, hmm. first two shorts? That uh, I think this is the first time I've ever spoken about either of those <laughs> those films <laughs> in any any interview uh, ever. Um, those were both shorts that I did. There were 16 millimeter shorts that I directed when I was in film school. Okay. Now. The difference between them, though, is that Blood of Another, which is kind of a Euro-horror-inflected uh, short about a woman who, uh, a guy who, who kind of finds a woman in the woods, and she's got a bloody dress on, and he's trying to, he's kind of repulsed by her, but kind of attracted to her, and he's kind of trying to figure out how did she get that way, you know, whose blood is it, this type of thing. Okay. Um, that was made for a production class that I was in my third year. Now, Tears was a short that I did on my own okay. in Virginia Beach. So Blood of Another was shot in Boston, essentially, and Tears was shot in Virginia Beach. Tears was a, a film that, that I wrote and, and cast in, in, you know, locally, and we got a local DP who we knew to shoot it, and, and that was sort of a film. But I did, I, you know, that was kind of like how it was working back then. Like, I would... I shot it in Virginia Beach, but I edited it in Boston. I used the film school's equipment to edit on because, you know, I, I wasn't really... It was probably I didn't cheaper a, than I didn't too. really fit into the film program there that well. Um, I think I was probably too ambitious for what they, they wanted of their uh, students. So I was always doing things off on my own, and then that one sort of turned into a combination of doing things on my own and, and also <laughs> using the, the, you know, the, the editing... Uh, facilities there to, to finish it. So, but that was the last short that I did when I was in film school. And then I gra literally, I graduated and moved out here. In fact, I, when I flew out here to LA, the film the tears was still, um, it hadn't been completely finished yet. Like I hadn't cut the negative on it. And this is all, you know, going back to film <laughs> technology here. I hadn't cut the negative. 
So I had all these reels. I had like reels of film and <laughs> soundtracks <laughs> that I was bringing to L.A. on the plane with me, uh, you know, to sort of, and I finished it that same year. But that's what those shorts are. But we got some attention for Tears. Tears got a, like a front page article in the Virginia oh, Beach cool. paper uh, entertainment section. Yeah, the Virginia Pilot, they they featured us. And so we got some press out of it. We got some local press, you know, for, for doing that. And, and I was, at the time I was thinking, I was leaning very heavily toward trying to make a feature in Virginia Beach. That was my, I should say a bigger budget feature because I'd already done like eight or nine video features. Uh, like a bigger film on 35, you know, in Virginia Beach. But that just never happened. It just, you know, I started doing things out here and then the, the more time it took to get a movie off the ground in Virginia Beach and the more work I got out here, the less inclined I was to keep pursuing uh, the Virginia Beach thing, you know. Um, Definitely. Just, it didn't make sense after a while, you know. It just, it was, you know, just uh, maybe if it had happened like in 97 or 98, maybe I would have done it. But, you know, by 99, I was, I directed three features in 99. So, you know, I was just kind of in L.A. So I was just, you know, sort of moved past the, <laughs> the idea of filming there but that's what those shorts were so they're okay. good experiences good learning experiences and they're weird little films the tears is about a guy who, who feels the need to drink human tears to survive that's, <laughs> the, that's the concept of tears um so you know they're they're kind of weird little artsy sort of horror oriented but kind of artsy okay. little film okay uh, moving on to, uh, evidently you started, uh, 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 now, now this is your first connection, uh, with, uh, uh, David Sterling, uh, uh from what I understand, uh, Iron Thunder, um, which you were yep. a production s uh, assistant under, and then after you are, that. You are correct. And yes, then, that was the first time I met him, ever heard of him, um, worked on that movie. I knew the director, Jay Wolfel, uh, from, through Jeff, actually. Oh, okay. I met Jay. I didn't really hang out with Jay a whole lot. I mean, I knew who he was, and I'd been over his apartment maybe once or twice or something, but they were making that movie uh, at the end of 97. That was shot in, like, the fall, winter of 97. It was kind of broken up. The shoot was, I mean, it was a very low-budget movie, and it was the lowest-budget thing I'd worked on, <laughs> up till that point, anyway. Um, and, it, but, you know, it was, it was a cool learning experience. I mean, it was a tank. I don't know if you've seen the movie or not, but, <laughs> but there was a, a tank mock-up tank that had to be built but it had to be kind of almost like full scale and that had to that was kind of a you know uh, an effort to to transport that and i remember at one point the whole shoot got held up because the tank fell in our ditch somewhere <laughs> it was like we were on the freeway and the tank just you know somebody was driving too fast and the tank just came loose and fell into a ditch and that was like the end of the you know, that was the end of the shooting day for that day. Um, so, but yeah, I worked on that. Yeah, I was a production assistant on that. So, you know, Richard so Hatch was in it from Battlestar Star Galactica. So it was, it was a fun, it was actually fun. It was a rough, definitely a rough exterior shoot in the desert with high winds and all that. So it was a kind of a tough shoot, very physical shoot. But I met people on that movie that I worked with later on, you know, Scott Spears, the DP and and uh, Jay, obviously, I've worked with Jay on a few things since then, so, you know. Awesome. Uh, and uh, after that experience, um, you um, you went into uh, directing. Um, uh, now, how did you get, uh, get involved with the uh, original Camp Blood uh, trilogy? Um, well, I didn't, I didn't get involved with it. I created it. Well, okay. And, yeah, I mean, the, the well, what 
you know, the first Camp Blood was literally a case of, you know, starting with the 3D, this company that had created this 3D um, lens that was, the idea was it would sit on consumer cameras and you could, people could make their own 3D movies, which I don't think anyone ever really did that. <laughs> but they did, or maybe they did, I, and I have, but I haven't seen any of them. But they did also, the company wanted to make some movies to kind of advertise their product, like, see, look what you can do, you know, or look what we got. And so it was, it was a home viewing setup, too. And they commissioned Dave to uh, do a few movies. I can remember just three movies or something like that. So he called me up. I already directed two movies for him at the time. And Camp Blood's not my first movie. Some people think it's my first movie because it's listed first. But it was actually my third movie I directed. And he, you know, was like, we want to do a 3D movie. We wanted you to direct this, write and direct it. And he started telling me things that were good and not good in terms of uh, the technology. Like, you know, it'd be better to shoot outdoors during the day. It would be better not to do a lot of interiors or night scenes and stuff like that. But it had to, it would have to be a horror movie. And I was like, well, you know, I'm a huge slasher fan. I mean, I've seen just about every slasher movie there is. I'm sure there's some I haven't seen, but I've seen many of them before and since Camp Blood. And I thought to myself, well, why don't we make a slasher film? Because we can shoot it in the woods during the day, and that'll be great for 3D, and we can do some, you know, 3D gags with the, you know, weapons, kind of like Friday the 13th Part 3. That was probably one of the things I was thinking of. And that was what I pitched him, and I pitched him Camp Blood, that, the movie was called Camp Blood when I pitched it to him. Okay. And he said, oh, yeah, that sounds great. And uh, now I should get to work on the script. And so, you know, I just started writing the script. And and um, I didn't have a whole lot of time to write it. But, you know, I did it within a month probably. And and then we just started moving forward like any other movie, you mm -hmm. know. it was The thing that made that movie different for me well, at the time was that we were shooting in 3D. Okay. You know, I, I hadn't done anything in 3D. And I at mean, the digital, time, it was... Digital not... 3D was a complete new thing at the time, and it, it you know, it was, it was very new <laughs> to everybody, <laughs> you know, to, to me and the DP, you know. Uh, so, you know, we had scenes the way they reshoot sometimes because they didn't come out right. They didn't come out... Uh, the field, which You had to do this thing called convergence where you had to converge the fields. There's sort of two fields you're working with, left and right, and they have to kind of match up when you're shooting... Um, if they get separated, then you have this weird sort of blurring effect that goes on that doesn't doesn't look good. <laughs> so you don't want that. So that was so that was, um, and it was restricting. It was restricting in terms of doing wide shots. It was restrictive in terms of doing close, extreme close-ups. So you know you're you're losing two of your basic cinematic tools making a movie like this. You know you're 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 doing a lot of medium shots. Okay. Uh, so that was that was you know, frustrating. I mean, and there were times where I would, you know, there were disagreements about how to shoot things because I would want to shoot things more like a regular movie and Dave or the DP or somebody would step in and be like, well, we, we can't do that. Or if we do that, we'll have to take the lens off. And, you know, there was, there was sometimes like we got kind of hung up, I think on like technical arguments, you know, but we did. I, look, I had fun making the movie overall. It was a. It was basically a pretty fun experience. I remember laughing a lot when we we're making that movie. So, <laughs> and that's not. And I can't say that about every movie I've directed. So, I did have fun. I had some fun people. I had some fun effects guys I was working with, and the guy who played the clown was a good friend of mine. And so we, 
you know, we had fun making it. That that was, but it wasn't. It was not easy to make, but it was. Yeah, we had fun. <laughs> Definitely. Um. Uh. And then you uh went went into uh, uh. Well, Brandon. Um. Do you have any questions for uh? Uh. Since you really like the trilogy. <laughs> Actually, uh, I was going to say, my most of my experience has been with the Camp Blood uh, trilogy and the one witchcraft movie that was directed. That, right. Um, and uh, I have to say, uh, it really did bring me back into the uh, slasher uh, field of films. I mm-hmm. really enjoyed the three because they have much more, um, there, there's something quite different about them than the other uh, many that, that are out there. Did you ever feel like it was going to be that that much of a like ongoing series uh, when you were doing the original? Not, not at all. Not <laughs> at all. Any more than probably any director thinks. I'm not comparing myself to you know anybody here, but I mean you know any more than say John Carpenter probably thought there was going to be a Halloween franchise that he would be uh, contributing a music to in you know 30 years after he made the original film. You know. Or, or that George Romero would ever have thought that, you know, Night of the Living Dead would turn into this, you know, not just a franchise, but in a whole genre, really. I mean, you don't think that. I mean, you, you, I, you know, I didn't. Um, I felt like we were making... What I did want to do was I wanted to make... There wasn't a lot of films like this being made back then. Mm-hmm. You know, in 1999, when we did the first Camp Blood... It was the Scream era, you know, it was the <laughs> Kevin Williamson era, which, and look, some of those movies, look, to be honest with you, some of my, I saw all of them when they came out, some of them I liked, some of them I didn't like, some of them I could watch now and enjoy, some of them I'm like, nah, it's okay, I don't need to see it again. They're all, you know, they're, they're different, very, you know, varying levels of quality or entertainment value, whatever, that time period, it's not like it's all junk or whatever, but, but the special movie kind of lost its edge in terms of the sort of, you know, let's just say golden era of the 80s early 80s, and that's what we were just trying to do. Like, we were just trying to, like, bring that back and have fun and be like, let's, you know, we're watching movies, like my friend Justin and I who did the effects, like, we would watch, uh, every night before shooting, we'd watch, like, a different slash, we'd watch The Burning, we'd watch The Prowler, we'd watch these different films, because we wanted to keep in that mind frame of non-unironic, you know, sort of old-school slashers. So that's what we were trying to do. But we did not think that it would become as successful or long-running as it did. <laughs> no way. <laughs> but I'm, I'm not, and I'm not sorry it did, because that's, that's the thing that most people ask me about. Um, you know, and, and it's cool to have an impact on some level, you know, uh, with all the horror films that are out there. Uh, it's awesome, you know. But, but, yeah, we had no thought about that at all, you know. Uh, uh, go ahead. Oh, sorry, uh, Go ahead. I was going to say one more uh, thing. Uh, just um, again, I, I have a lot of admiration for that uh, original trilogy. Um, it's in its ninth or tenth installment is filming right now. Um, did you have any uh, any of your ideas used in some of the subsequent uh, stuff uh, after the uh, original three? Did I did I have anything to do with those? No. Yeah. I had. I mean, I. I mean, we did. I mean, I was. You know. No, I, I mean, I know there are other movies out there, but I have nothing to do with them. I mean, like, and I'm, you know, I'm surprised that, I'm, I'm, I guess I'm surprised there's so many, um, <laughs> because the business has changed so much, and the, you know, ways of getting things to people has changed a lot since we did, like, Camp Blood and Camp Blood 2, but, um, 
but no, I don't have anything to do with that at, on any level, <laughs> creatively, anything else. Um, I, I didn't think so myself, but I wasn't going to say anything. <laughs> no, I think, I mean, I've, I've sort of, you know, like I haven't seen any of those, you know. Um, I know they're out there. In fact, a lot of times I know they're out there cause, just because people tell me about them. Like, I mean, otherwise I might not even know, you know. <laughs> like occasionally a fan or someone will email me and say, hey, did you know there's another one? And I'm like, Okay, thanks for the <laughs> thanks for the info, you know. Um, but you know, I, I just um, I don't know. I no, I'm, I think it's it's a testament to the popularity of what we created back then that they're continuing to run. Um, that's for sure. But beyond that, I beyond that, I don't you know I don't know what else I would say. Okay. Moving on to your uh, second Camp Blood film, did you uh, yeah. use any um, other actresses or, uh, or actors from the previous in in your your sequels, uh, per se? Well, we had, well, you know, it's funny what happened with that, because we, I mean, we had Jennifer Richkoff, who was in the first movie. She, you know, in fact, that was kind of interesting, because she, you know, got very kind of territorial about the whole thing, Um you know, I mean, I mean, you talk about Camp Blood. How did we know it was? How, did we know what we were creating? Well, we knew when I went down to the American film market, which is held here every year, and mm -hmm. kind of a big market for a lot of genre movies, especially a lot of exploitation movies, B movies. And I was literally approached. I mean, Dave called me down there. I mean, I was going down anyway, probably. But Dave was <laughs> like, "We're going to make Camp Blood too. Like, we're we're on." You know, <laughs> and like Camp Blood hadn't even been released in the U.S. yet. It was, it was, it had only gotten this 3D release, which is kind of a, um, I don't want to say mail order, but it was kind of a, you know, mail order only kind of deal with the company. They hadn't gotten the widespread distribution yet. It had not come out through Dead Alive, you know, video. So we're like, oh, or I was, I was like, wow, okay, we're making a sequel, you know, because it sold so well, I guess, to the U.K., um, and some other countries that they were, you know, the, the sales company was doing so well with it that they wanted to commission a sequel. And it was weird because we even shot a trailer for the sequel before we made the movie, mm -hmm. which makes no sense at all. But we, um, we actually, that's what they wanted to do. He's like, I want to do a trailer. We're going to do a trailer for, I was like, okay, it was probably for film markets or something just to announce it. Well, and now that like, concept I, is so It was weird, but used. we had no movie, you know? So we like, <laughs> brought a few actors out. I got some friends. I think he had a few people that he had worked with, and I got a couple people, and we went out to the woods, and we shot that trailer where you see the guy with a video camera and a girl, and then the clown comes out. And, and actually, the good thing about that was we realized when we shot that trailer, which I think came out pretty good for like a day of shooting, mm -hmm. um that the mask that we had at the time was not going to work well. The mask was, uh, it was inflexible. It, it didn't, it didn't play well sometimes. And <laughs> it was kind of hanging down. I remember like in the chin area, it looked kind of okay. weird. And they were like, okay, when we make the movie, we won't use this mask. <laughs> so that mask, you see it in the trailer, you'll never see it again. You know, um, we got, there were some effects guys that were doing makeup on Campbell too. We had a really professional makeup team on Campbell too. And uh, way way more than we way more professional than we could afford, but they just really wanted to do it. And they had a line on like um, Halloween catalogs and stuff, and they could get masks and things like that really cheap. <laughs> so I was looking through these pages of you know this was before clowns were like so popular. Now you probably you know God knows how many clown masks you'd have to look at. You know, <laughs> but nineteen or in two thousand, it was like three three different clowns you could pick from or something. You know. <laughs> 
Um, so we end up, you know, obviously I chose the mask that you see in the movie, mm-hmm. which is different than the first one. Some people ask me, why is there a different mask in the first? Well, because I threw that mask away. I mean, when we did, when we did the first movie, I had that mask. I actually owned that mask. It was a mask I had in, from, I used in some student projects in Boston and I brought it to LA with me. God knows, don't ask me why I brought a clown mask to LA, but maybe it was, <laughs> maybe I had an intuition about something, you know? Um, and so I used that mask in Camp Blood, but it was so beat to hell at the end of that, it was held together with duct tape. I mean, literally pieced, I mean, those pieces were held together with tape. And when we wrapped the movie, and it was covered with fake blood by the end, and so when we wrapped the movie, I, I just threw it in the dumpster. I literally <laughs> tossed it. As I was walking to my apartment, I remember I just tossed it through the air into the dumpster. And I wish I hadn't, but I did. Because um, people were like, oh, man, it would be so cool to have that, you know. Well, you know, I do have the mask in part two, but, but, uh, but there, yeah, it just, there just wasn't a mask to use. So we, you know, and you couldn't find one like that anymore. I don't know what the heck, you know, it was just out of print or whatever you want to say about it. Now, what so, was the reaction to the public once you'd uh, uh, entirely filmed uh, number two? And what was their response after that? Well, you know, I don't remember as many as much of the reviews for Camp Blood, of Camp Blood 2 as I do for Camp Blood. Like, okay. to Camp Blood, I always remember it was my first movie I got reviewed in Fangoria. And they hated it. Um, they gave it a really scathing review. And uh, which was like one of these things that, you know, I'm thrilled to have a movie I directed in Fangoria, you know, right on the video chopping, right on the uh, Dr. Cyclops page, you know, next to some other film, some Corman film and some other bigger film. But, you know, you're, you've also, you've got a bad review, you know. So that kind of hurt. Um, but, I, and, I, and I, I don't know if I was really reading reviews as much back then. I mean, I read that review because it was in print. And then there might have been a few other ones. And then Kempla, too, when that came out, to me, the thing I remember about that movie was it was my first movie in Hollywood video. Okay. It was in every store everywhere. Okay. Um, and I walked, it was the first time I could walk into a store and, and see a movie. Because by then I'd probably directed five movies or something like that. Well, and at that point in time, Blockbuster was still. <laughs> oh, they were. Oh, they were. Well, that was the big. That they were the big. You know, the gold standard. They were the one you're always trying to get to. And and we, uh, I did get. That. I got into Blockbuster on Death Factory, another movie I did a few years later. But Camp Blood Two was the first one in Hollywood Video. See, people like. See, I never saw Camp Blood for rent anywhere. People told me they rented it from Hollywood Video. They rented it from wherever, which is great. But I personally didn't see a copy on the shelves out here in L.A. But I did see Camp Blood 2, um, you know, and I saw it in a lot of stores, not just uh, not just Hollywood Video, Mom and Pops, but not Blockbuster. They were they were tough. <laughs> they were tough not to crack, you know. Um, so so we were thrilled to get the movie into, into um, Hollywood Video. But I don't know about the reviews, man. I mean, people, you know, how it was perceived. I remember, you know, there's some reviews that were bad and there were some that people really seemed to get what we were doing and enjoy it and. And personally, I just tried to make a movie that I thought was more of a comedy than a horror movie. I, I sort of wanted to do more of a satire of the low-budget filmmaking at that point. Well, especially you know, since that, people are so uh, scared of uh, clowns, uh, those who are scared of them. <laughs> so Right, well, there's that. Well, no, the, the artwork was great. I mean, and, and uh, it's actually to their credit, the, art, the clown on the cover wasn't the one in the movie. It was the mask. And, yeah, those, well, they, and they stood out because, once again, we, we were unique. In the time, there was not a 
a lot of, of slashers out there that had sort of a character that you could sort of just immediately, um, you know, an immediate impression the way that the clown did. Mm-hmm. And there being clown horror films before, but not really a clown slasher. I mean, I challenge somebody to find one. I mean, I, <laughs> I know there's movies out there like Out of the Dark, you know, or things like that, but I think this one, in terms of like a real hardcore like slasher slasher, like it's it's not an erotic thriller, it's a slasher movie. I don't think there was one before this. So, <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Maybe you guys know more. <laughs> you guys might know better. But that's what I, you know, what I just thought was unique and, and kind of, and I think that's why they caught on the way they did, you know. Totally understand. So, um, yeah. ba- uh, uh, Babes in the Woods was your next uh, feature that you uh, did. What was it uh, like being on that one and uh, Evil Sister 2? Well, okay, I'm going to rearrange your, your timeline for you a little bit here. Um, well, the first movie I directed was called Scream Queen with Linnea Quigley. That's that's the very first movie I directed in 98. Okay. It didn't come out in 2001, and then it sort of disappeared. And Anyway, um, I directed Evil Sister 2 in the fall of 98. And then uh, Camp Blood was in 98. Yeah, okay, yeah, so then Babes in the Woods did come after Camp Blood. You're right about that, yeah, so... That was what you know what that movie was to me. To be honest with you, um, it was a it was a the best paycheck I'd had till that point, um, which got me to go see actually take a trip overseas and see my future wife, who actually I met on the Full Moon movie back in '97. And uh, so anyway, uh, it was a decent paying gig, and it was also a chance to shoot a movie on film because up till then everything I'd shot was on video. Okay. That was always the big, now back then, anyway, that was the big, you know, the brass ring, I guess you could say, for, you know, for low-budget filmmakers was to shoot a movie on film because there was a tremendous jump in, uh, you know, budget that you, you had to, you know, kind of get over to shoot on film. But if you shot on 16 and you were smart about it, you could still make a movie for, you know, under $100,000 or whatever. So Bays in the Woods was a movie that, was, you know, a chance for me to shoot on film, and, you know, I, I made some money on that, and it wasn't really the type of movie I really wanted to make. I mean, it was a sex film, you know, erotic film, with these cheerleaders getting lost in the woods and having, Which, from know, what I understand, is exactly the kind of movie that David Sterling would want. <laughs> well, you know, what's funny, it wasn't his idea, though. It was Jerry Pfeiffer's idea. It was Vista Street, you know, they, he was... He's the big sleaze ball, frankly. He's the sleazier of, uh, I would say, of the two. Um, I mean, everything with that company had was completely predicated around what they call love scenes, and there had to be a certain number of them in every script. Uh, you know, every so many minutes, somebody had to be humping. You know, and so it was. You know, it didn't matter what kind of movie it was either. I mean, it was based in the woods. It was like, okay, that's what we're making. That's that's it. You know, but it was tougher when you're trying to do more like a horror movie or a thriller or something like that. Um, but you know what? I have to say though, when you know, I actually enjoyed myself making the movie. It was a nice experience, nice group of people overall. Um, and and what was also important about that movie, I should definitely say, is it got me in with this the street, where I then did Mad Jack, uh, my subsequent film, which is a film that I care a lot about, and 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 basically got to make the movie I wanted to make. But that was because I had a relationship with Vista Street and Jerry Pfeiffer, and he believed in me and he was willing to partner up with, you know, an outside investor that I had. Um, you mentioned Evil Sister 2. That's a movie that I actually am very proud of. We made that for incredibly 
small amount of money mm-hmm. out in the desert. It was a location shoot, which you almost never do on these type of films. Um, but there were locations I had seen while working on Iron Thunder that stuck in my mind. Okay. And uh, I believe that they would work really well in a sort of southwestern Euro horror mix kind of a film. And that's what Evil Sister 2 is to me. It's it's sort of a mix of genre line and, uh, you know, um, that type of thing. You know, some gorier stuff. They're Jess Franco, this type of stuff. Makes it like American exploitation film of the 70s, you know, that was shot in Arizona or Nevada or whatever. Okay. So that was cool. I, 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 had, a, I had fun making that. You know, I was hard to make, but that was the opposite of Bays in the Woods. That was, you know, you're not making anything really on it by the end of it, but you, you're you just making something really cool that you believe in. And, uh, yeah, so anyway, yeah, it was. it's one of my favorite movies I've done, especially in terms of the micro-budget movies I've done, really micro-budget. That, I think that's one of the best, you know. Okay. Uh, now, were there any actors or actresses that you can pinpoint that that you enjoyed working with uh, 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 through some of the films that we have aforementioned? None of them. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, no, I know. I, I mean, really, to be honest with you, almost every time you make a film, you. I mean, there are people. First of all, you can see if you look at my filmography, you'll see certain actors that appear in film after film for me. So you know, there are certain people that I that I did enjoy working with that I would bring on to another film if I had a role that was right for him, you know? Um, and at the same time, you, you have, you know, you do work with new people every time too, because that's just how it is. I don't think it's really, I mean, I have to be honest and I really do try to cast each film based on what I think is appropriate for the role. I don't really usually write roles for actors and I won't really cast somebody if I don't think they're right for the part. And I know that that's, that's something that not everyone, when you're in this low-budget world or whatever, sometimes it's easier just to get, you know, somebody you've had in five or six other movies, you know, they're going to show up. And, and I understand the logic of that, but well, sometimes and that's, you want to... That's better you know, for this uh, uh, this level of entertainment in, in the business, too, because, uh, because there is a level of... Um, uh, there's a level of filmmaking that uh, that goes beyond, uh, you know, just your regular run of the day SOV film. You know, I mean, you've got oh yeah, you got to bring it up to a level of Hollywood standard these days. Well, oh, you're you're competing with that. Well, well, what's cool is what's interesting is it's always been interesting, and it's it didn't change from from Camp Blood to the movie I just did. Um, you know, you always find an incredible talent base here that is beyond what you get in other places. And so sometimes you get in, you know, people that have worked on really big shows, I'm talking about actors or behind the scenes, you know, whether it's, a, you know, a DP or an effects person or whatever, you, you'll get people sometimes who've worked on major projects, major shows, and you're just like, wow, I can't believe they're doing, they're doing my movie, you know? And, and that, doesn't happen, that doesn't happen every time, but it does happen often enough. And sometimes you, your film benefits tremendously from that, and and you're, it is tough because you are competing with with bigger stuff always. I mean, we, we surely were doing back in the day when you're putting the you know your video store days where your movie's on the shelf next to you know a, a blockbuster movie, a literal, a literal blockbuster from the studios. Um, but you know, it's, it's still true now. You know, um, but but anyway, yeah. I, I, look, like I said, you can you can have through lines. You'll see certain actors that I work with in different things off and on over the years, and then you'll see a lot of new, fresh faces. Um, and, and you know, it's very tough to keep up with people out here, man. People, 
very few people stay the course. Very few actors stay the course. There's a lot of them that, you know, they get, they move, they drop into another field, they get married, they do this, they move back to where they're from, they, you know, I mean, there's a million different, and then to say nothing of just people like, you know, going nuts or <laughs> having <laughs> flame outs or just, you know, uh, becoming kind of, you know, hard, difficult to deal with, that, that happens too. But there's so many different factors that kind of play into that, Definitely. you know, um, um, so... So, um, moving on to, uh, I'm going to just mention some titles here. Um, the Zombie Chronicles, uh, The Coven, and Demon's Kiss. Yep. Yeah, Zombie, though The Coven, the first one of those that I did was The Coven. Because that was after, well, actually I did four movies that year. In 2000, I, did, I directed four movies. We did Camp Blood 2, and then we did this movie called The Bewitching, which... The less said about that, the better. <laughs> um, although I, I'm sure you'll probably bring it up. Uh, but uh, then, then, and then the coven, and the coven was that was another one that was really actually pretty easy to make. Like easy, you know, we did it over like some weekends, and we had a nice cast, uh, just a very small crew, very minimal. We shot in a college campus in Long Beach, and it was it was like you know kind of a craft type movie. Okay. Um, that was for a guy named Mark Gordon who was doing these little films, and this might have been one of the littlest films he did. Uh, <laughs> you know, somehow I would always end up with those type of a situation where you know you're going in to meet with somebody, and they've done they've done a few things that you're like, oh, okay, that was you know that was shot on film, or that movie's got so and so name actor in it, and you're like, well, the one you're going to do is going to be made for you know five grand or three thousand dollars, or you know whatever <laughs> it was. You're like, oh, okay. Um, but the Coven was you know, it was basically a fun experience. It was in 3D. That was weird. We shot that movie in 3D and <laughs> and for no good reason because... So how many never, films did you... never released in 3D. How many films did you uh, do in 3D? I'm, I'm trying to remember right now. I mean, <laughs> I mean, like, probably around five. I'd ballpark it at five or something because, like, it was, this is how screwed up it was. I mean, Camp Blood, it made sense. It was made for the 3D company. Yeah. Camp Blood 2 was not made for the 3D company. But Dave had a plan to sell. He's like, I'm going to sell this movie twice. I'm going to, we're going to make this movie for Dead Alive, and then I'm going to, like, um, I'm going to sell it again to the 3D company as a 3D movie. So basically, you know, Dead Alive getting what we call the flat version, like a regular version, you know? I was mm -hmm. like, okay. Of course, the idea was I was supposed to make double the money, which, of course, never happened. He did, but I didn't. <laughs> um but the movie is stupid because that movie, most people have seen Campbell 2, they saw the flat version. So, you know, that made that movie harder to make because we're shooting in 3D, even though it really shouldn't have been, just because he was greedy. Um, with The Coven, I guess the idea was to sell it to the 3D company, but they, I guess they never bought it. <laughs> um, and then Zombie Chronicles was actually made for the 3D company and was released in 3D and, that and all that. And then when I did another one that I'm not wasn't really thrilled with called bloody tees and that was that was also made for the 3d company and that was in 3d so was that five something like that yeah i was not a fan of, of these 3d movies because they're just very limiting in terms of what you can do um you know so i mean you're basically a lot of times working with the same it's like what are you trying to 3d it's about that it was just about there even the budget might have been similar but you were shooting in 3d and so everything was just getting yeah, you know, kind of technically 
you know, shortchanged, <laughs> I guess you could say. But but that didn't stop some of these films from coming out and having fans and, and being successful. <laughs> so, you know, what do I know, right? <laughs> right. Uh, I, I mean, but, but yeah, but The Coven was, yeah, that one. And then when you mentioned Zombie Chronicles, yeah, I mean, that was another one that I did that movie. I mean, that was in, someone else wrote the script. And we had some, some decent makeup effects in it. That was, we had, that we had. Uh, you know, and and um, it was done very quickly. I was leaving the country at the time. I was shooting Zombie Chronicles. I was about to leave the country to get married, and so I did the best job I could on it. Um, you know, I, I definitely delivered the movie, and I, I think it's fun. You know, they they kind of went back and shot some things. I think some little kind of second unit things and I, and I was not happy with how it was edited I did not like the post-production on that it was not I was not involved in that at all um, which is actually pretty typical of Dave Sterling uh, <laughs> movies there'd be literally when people say farmed out I mean he really was sending it to a farm you know like he'd send it to a farm in Pennsylvania somewhere and somebody would you know hack it together um, I mean it was it was <laughs> not you know you, you the director was was not supposed to be in the editing room or, or anything like that um, so, you know, I, I did get a few chances on some films to see, you know, cuts and make adjustments and stuff, but, but that, that was not one of them. Understandable. You know? Um, uh, going but people, on to... people like it. I hear from people say they like it. And so I'm like, well, whatever, you know, I mean, I'm glad they like it. You know, I'm glad it, it I think it did pretty well. I mean, brain damage ended up putting it out too. And it, it definitely got out there, you know, and the gore and the effects were pretty good. So. Can I ask uh, just a brief question on the uh, 3D aspect of this? Sure. Uh, it sounds like you had a lot of negative, um, uh, at least initial negative uh, reactions to the uh, 3D genre as it, as it uh, was burgeoning in that time period. Uh, were there any positive aspects that you could think of that uh, 3D, um, 3D medium had for you? I don't, I mean, I, I think that what it, the only positive aspect of it was more just in terms of the promotion. I think it, I, I remember specifically there was a, there was when, um, when they started to come out, when some of these like Camp Blood and Zombie Chronicles started to come out through Razor, which was a company that was basically formed by the 3D company to release their movies, like in a normal distribution uh, sense. They started pushing those things and like the discs would be like 3D on one side, 2D on the other. Yeah. And those got, all over the place. Those, so my point being that the fact that they were 3D helped the movies reach people that they might not have otherwise reached. Um, other regular, let's say a, your average micro-budget horror film of the time, let's say it's a slasher or whatever, with a cool cover, might get some interest or might get in some stores, but it wouldn't have gotten as out, out there as much as Camp Blood did. Uh, I think that that aspect helped the movies reach people. So I'm complaining about it, but I think that's ultimately what helped, you know, definitely it didn't hurt. Okay. Um, but then that said, a lot of people who first saw Camp Blood, they saw it, they rented the Dead Alive VHS, which is obviously not, you know, not in 3D. So I, I don't know, man. I mean, I, I think I made a pretty good movie that worked whether it was in 3D or not. And I think Camp Blood in particular, is, is that apply, I mean, in Camp Blood too, I mean, I think those two... Those are basically the two 3D movies I did that I'm. I think they still hold up, more or less. You know, you know, to this point, for what they are, and people still like to go back and watch them. And I doubt that they're watching them in 3D. You know, there's probably some people who are watching. They don't even know they were in 3D at, at some point in time. 
Um, so no, it was just it was at the time all it was to me as a filmmaker was it was very limiting, <laughs> and you know and and created arguments on the set because I would sometimes say I'm just taking the lens off. We're just going to shoot this normal because we want to shoot like a scene like where. Like there's a scene in Campbell 2, for example, where this guy sticks a bottle in somebody's eye, or the, the clown sticks a, a broken bottleneck into some guy's eyeball. And I was like, that's going to be, we're taking the lens off for that. Because, you know, you got to get the POV, you know, the thing sticking right into the camera, which is cool. And then you got to get close to the eye getting gouged out. Well, you couldn't do shots like that with a 3D lens. It would, it would get all blurry and screwed up. So I would just take the lens off. And... You know, then Dave would start screaming or something. But, but you know, there were there were sometimes where I think he just wasn't there. So which is usually how he produces sort of you know ghost kind of you know producing by absence. Um, <laughs> but you know, we would we would get away with it whether he was there or not. I guess you know. But there were just certain shots where you're like, you know, that for the scene to deliver as a horror movie, forget about the budget, forget about it's in 3D or not. Just as a good horror movie, it's got to we got to take that off. You know, we got to lose it. <laughs> so that, that was how it was. But yeah, but those movies definitely got in front of more pairs of eyeballs because of the 3d gimmick. <laughs> and we were, and we were ahead of our time, obviously, because, you know, I don't even need to say it, you know, I mean, Hollywood adopted that type of stuff years after we were doing it, you know? Um, <laughs> So. Alrighty, uh, so moving on to uh, Demon's Kiss, Lord of the Vampires, and Scream Queen. Um, yeah, well, well, Demon's Kiss, that was, there was, it was significant for a couple of reasons. It was a bigger budget, probably the biggest budget I'd had at that point, <laughs> and it was on film. It was an erotic thriller, kind of I, what I saw as sort of a Cat People type film. Cat People is Paul Schrader's Cat People is one of my favorite movies. And I thought it'd be really fun to make a movie like that. And I pitched that to, it was a pitch. That's something else I should bring up is, you know, some of these films were like Camp Blood. I, I came up with that. Uh, there was a movie called Goth you, I did later on. That was, which I means you had to pitch there it. There are other things where people would say, here, you're, you want to do this? You know, do you want to do the coven? Well, you're in or you're out. <laughs> you know, you want to do Zombie Chronicles? You're in or you're out. And these were, there were, but there were other times where you could actually pitch an idea to, the executive producer and you know it was your move so, so those films a lot of times i became much more uh, defensive about uh we were making them and editing them and stuff and demon's kiss was definitely that that type of a situation so we had a, we had a bigger budget we had a longer schedule um the biggest conflict on that movie was with the executive producer who sort of changed his opinion midstream about what kind of movie we were making I always saw it as a horror film with sex scenes, and I think he saw it as a sex film or an erotic film with some horror in it, a mild overtones of horror. <laughs> <laughs> and so we were doing, we did some gory scenes early on that we just shot them and they're in the movie and uh, he, he it was too late, you know, or, or whatever. But then there was a point where he came up to me, literally, this is like about halfway through the shoot, he came up to me and he said, I've just talked to the German buyers because these, a lot of these films are based on what Germany wanted or Italy wanted or, or who knows what, you know what I mean? They're these weird foreign sales, you know, deals. And he said, the German buyers said, less demon, more kiss. Okay. So, so you know, I took that to mean that, 
you know, we're, he didn't want me to make a horror movie. You know, he didn't want the horror stuff. He wanted all the horror stuff out. He wanted an erotic. He wanted movie. an erotic thriller more in the mode of Night Eyes or, you know, uh, those types of things. Yeah. Which we were skirting that. I mean, like, and he was making films like that, too, that were much more just straightforward erotic thrillers. And I was almost kind of like, why don't you just make another one of those with somebody else? Because, you know, that's not what this is. Mm-hmm. You know, and you sign on for it. Because, I mean, it was always called Demon's Kiss. And he'd sign, I mean, I had to, I had to fax every... 10 pages over to him to get approval on that script. Um, I mean, you know, it was, it was ridiculous. And, and I never had to do that before or since. Um, and he approved it. So anyway, you know, but who cares, right? Yeah. We're shooting in the guy's house, I should mention. We're shooting in a mansion in Malibu, which on the outside looked like a really glamorous life. But once we started filming there, we realized it was more like an Airbnb type situation with people renting out rooms. And, you know, <laughs> I mean, you'd, you'd like literally be like, hey, let's go film that bedroom scene or let's go film that scene. And you'd open a door and there's somebody in their nightgown, like reading in bed. <laughs> you're like, oh, I'm sorry. Oh, well, I'm renting this room out. What do you guys want? Oh, we're here. This, we're the film crew here. We're filming a movie here, you know? So it was, it was, you know, there was some awkwardness in that respect. But the biggest issue with that movie was the ending because. The idea was this woman transforms. She's she's gets bit and she's on a trip in South America. She gets bit by this sort of half human wild woman, uh, and she starts to change and transform gradually once she comes back to L.A. And at the end, she just goes full blown creature mode, and she's she's a monster. She's a female monster. So we had this full makeup on her that took a long time, and body painting, and all this. It was really cool, frankly. Um, <laughs> And then the guy came walking in, the EP came walking in and looked at it and said, take all that off or we're not filming that. <laughs> and uh, and, we're, and this is like at four in the morning. We're like at the end of a, you know, whatever, an 18-hour day. And we've got like, well, literally multiple cameras running. It's like the end of the movie. And <laughs> and she's down there naked, like she's just standing there naked, shivering, you know. And uh, and so we had a discussion. And then what we, re- what we ended up doing was shooting two endings, which is ridiculous on a film like this. <laughs> you don't have the budget for two endings. Um, so we shot it twice. We shot one version with her in full creature makeup and everything. And then we shot a version of her just in a negligee, uh, wearing contacts. And guess which ending ended up in the movie? The ending with the uh, negligee and the... <laughs> exactly. But what's funny, what's funny is there's little, if you watch the movie, first of all, that it kind of proves, I've, I've been sort of proven right subsequently because like the Japanese version of the film is a longer cut. And they put that monster, they, there were photos of the monster, so photos ended up going out, even though it, you don't really see the movie. And the Japanese release has that monster all over the box, because, you know, <laughs> they love stuff like that over there. So that's probably what sold the movie to them, you know? <laughs> um, you know, there's other cuts of it. There, you know, there's a British cut that shows, I mean, there's, like, the American cut, it's probably one of my least favorite cuts of the movie. And not every movie I've directed has all these cuts, but this one does. So, and how many? So anyway, I have that footage. Like I have it on like a VHS tape. <laughs> I have the footage of her and the monster makeup, and and but you know, and there's a brief glimpse of it. That the editor, actually Jay Wolfel, talking about Jay, he edited that, and he did a nice little transition at the end, where you see the creature face, at least the close of the face <laughs> of the creature, kind of superimposing a bit, almost like old school, like Universal Wolfman type thing. Uh, briefly after she dies. Okay. So, you know, he kind of brought that in. I'm, I'm sure he was a fan of that creature, too. And so we were trying to bring it in as much as we could, but but it was it was a battle on the set, and it was a battle in the editing room uh, over that ending. And, 
it, you know, that said, I'm pretty happy with how the movie came out. I think I did a good job directing it, and technically and performance-wise, had a really good cast. You mentioned cast earlier. Well, we had a lot of good people in that, um, and um, and it came out. You know, it came out in the whenever I guess that year or maybe the next year or something. Um, you know, it's sort of you know got released in England. It got released in a lot of different places. You know, I, I frankly Which wish is... more people had seen it. It's Which sort of, is kind of you know, uh, cool. How many of your releases are actually released elsewhere? Uh, what do you mean? Oh, oh, like my stuff? I don't even know. Like, <laughs> like, I'll tell you. No, I don't. I mean, I have some copies of some things I've gotten from friends or things like that. Like, like for example, Death Factory. Okay, like Death Factory has been released at least 10. It's got, I mean, there's at least 10 different releases or maybe between 10 and 20. I mean, Camp Blood has been in Germany alone has probably been released 10 or 15 times. <laughs> These are all different releases, like DVDs, Blu-rays, 3D Blu-rays. I mean, <laughs> it, even last year they were releasing, probably because of It or something, but they were releasing the Camp Blood films again and these, like, clown, you know, clown horror packs and stuff like that. And <laughs> I have a friend in Germany who, who hooks me up with this stuff. Like, when my stuff comes out in Germany, he's like, hey, I'm getting your Blu-ray for you. I'll get your... <laughs> like, all right, I'll put it on the stack with the other German Camp Blood Blu-rays. <laughs> But I mean, they, no, they really, that, that movie's gotten released many, some of them have gotten released a lot, and some of them barely, like, uh, like, Lord of the Vampires, for example, I don't know of any foreign release for that at all, hmm. but, like, Goth and, and Death Factory and Camp Blood and, and even Zombie Chronicles and, um, and then The Coven is one, is still only on VHS, hmm. so, you know, <laughs> I mean, it's, 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 it's a crapshoot, I mean, it really is, because, that's one of the things you realize, too, after a while, is, you know, just because you directed the movie, it was the second movie you directed, it might be, like, the sixth movie of yours that actually gets released, hmm. you know? Because sometimes the release schedules and the post-process and all this whatever nonsense is just, like, you know, it, it, you have no control over that. Totally. You know? <laughs> even when you're very involved in the editing, I mean, you could deliver the movie, let's say you've approved it, even like you were 100% happy with the movie, well, the distributor can sit on it for three years. <laughs> um, or they go out of business, or they give it to somebody else, or whatever. I've had everything happen, I mean, pretty much. But, but, um, but yeah, but Demon's Kiss is one where, yeah, there are just, like, I've seen, because I have the DVDs, like, I have a Japanese copy, I have a British copy. It was released as Kiss Me If You Dare in England. Hmm. Um... <laughs> And in, 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 in Japan, it's called Bio Amazonas. <laughs> there's like a there's like a trailer. I've seen the Japanese trailer like where the guy's voice was like, Bio Amazonas. Like, it's, it's great. I mean, you feel like you're watching a Godzilla movie or something. You know? <laughs> it's, it's awesome. Um, that, that, those moments actually sometimes make some of this stuff worthwhile because it's just fun. Like, you feel like you're, you're, you are part of, of the... The you know, B-movie the empire. That you love, and, and you've gone through all this crap or whatever, but you're part of that continuum, too, in, in your own small way. So it's that can be fun. But uh, but moving on to Lord of the Vampires, I did that movie. Actually, I did a movie called Angelique after uh, uh, Demon's Kiss. That was more like a straightforward erotic thriller, kind of a um, Poison Ivy crush-type movie. Um, and then we did... Lord of the Vampires. Now, these were all shot on film. Like, almost everything I directed that year was shot on film, so that mm -hmm. was nice. Um, Lord of the Vampires was a, uh, a movie that I did with this um, friend of mine who was from Virginia Beach. He had always wanted to get into movies and more to act than anything else. 
he was in tears. As a matter of fact, you mentioned tears. Um, this guy, Jack Waring, and he owned a gym, his family owned a gym, and uh, he had some money to play with and, and uh, wanted to be in movies. So we did a movie called Mad Jack okay. in 99. I mentioned that earlier. That was a desert thriller that I directed that I'm really proud of. It, of course, it's barely released. Do you have to release it? <laughs> That's the one. It's, it's released in the U.S. and nowhere else, as far as I know. Um, not even on streaming now, which is like some of this stuff is released on streaming for people to see, but not that one. Uh, we did Mad Jack, and then he wanted to go you know, do another film and, and put up money for another film and partner up with Vista Street. So we did Lord of the Vampires. Mm-hmm. Um, I wasn't really... I mean, that's a movie that was really taken away from me in the editing. Um, really unhappy with the editing and the sound mix on that movie. The photographically and what we did, you know, sex wise and stuff like that, there's some cool stuff in it. You know, it's a, it's definitely, it's definitely inspired by Euro horror movies. Uh, once again, you know, um, as you can probably tell, I'm a big fan of Euro horror, mm-hmm. uh, from the seventies, you know, it was definitely, you know, in a little bit of eighties, practical effects, definitely some, you know, vampire meltdowns and heads. Yeah. I mean, all this stuff is prosthetics, practical effects, no CGI in any of these movies, you know, Mm-hmm. Partly because we couldn't afford it, and partly because we didn't want to do it. You know? <laughs> uh, and uh, so, you know, I think there's things in that movie that are fun, and there's it's got stuff to offer. But like I said, it was taken away from me in the post, uh, and you know, I wasn't happy with it. Jack wasn't happy with it. I don't know who was happy with it. I guess <laughs> this industry was happy with it, um, but you know, it just didn't. Totally understand. It's a mixture. It's a, it's a mixture. It's, you know, you hear directors say that sometimes that the post was, you know, was taken away in post. Well, that's one of those movies. And, and some people could watch it and go, I liked it. I don't care. I don't even know. I have no idea. It's not like you're, you know, the average person's probably going to see it and think these things, but they might like it anyway. And I know there's people who like it. Um, but, you know, when I think of it, I, and also I remember it happened, we were editing, the first day of editing on that movie was supposed to be 9-11. And I remember we were literally going to a post house to like have a meeting about editing and like we're all of a sudden the, you know, we see video of the twin towers going down and we're like, uh, I think we're going to table this meeting for now, you know? And actually it sort of was almost in a way it was sort of indicative of how everything went too, because everything really went down the toilet. You know, it was kind of hard for anyone to concentrate on anything back then. Um, certainly a lot of filmmakers, you know, a lot of artists were kind of like, what's the point of anything and all this. And I think, you know, it was all this kind of, craziness chaos going on and i think that on some level the movie got caught up in that because it did get passed from one editor to another and uh, when it did get finally settled down it was with someone who didn't really you know didn't really handle it very well so you know what can i say that was that was uh you know the case with that and what was the other one you asked me about oh scream queen oh, yeah. that was well that was my first movie i mean that was like literally had been I'd been living out here for oh, six months or something, and I was working on Iron Thunder. And Dave Sterling said, uh, "I do these little movies," and he had done a movie called Evil Sister at the time, the original Evil Sister. And uh, he said, "I do these little films too." And um, so that's what it was originally called. Oh no, it was no, it was he had, he okay. had made the original Evil Sister. Okay. like that was kind of one of those okay. small. You know, smaller than Iron Thunder. Believe it or not, there were smaller films out there than Iron Thunder. I was getting a, I was getting a, a you know, a, a crash course in, 
in the sort of the SOV world, I guess you could say. Even though I've been <laughs> shooting stuff on high eight with my friends for years, I never thought there was really like a marketability for anything like this. And he showed me some of the stuff he'd done, like micro budget stuff. And I pitched him, he said, well, pitch me some ideas. And I pitched him Scream Queen. And he said, I like that. That sounds good. Let's do that. And um, so it was my first paid directing, writing, directing gig. And I did, even at the time, I don't, know if I, I don't think I said this. I didn't say I'm going to get Linnea in the movie. But I did know, I knew people who knew her. I didn't know her. Okay. But I did get a friend, um, you know, I asked a friend, I said, would you, who had worked with her, I said, you know, would you mind telling her about this project or whatever, showing the script to her? And and um, so I did end up meeting with her, and she was actually great, really great to, to talk to, hang out with, and uh, she liked the script, she agreed to do it, and that was a huge thrill for me, you know, um, at 23 years old. <laughs> First thing I'm directing, I'm directing with Linnea Quigley, you know, and uh, and not just directing the movie, but, you know, going over her house and we're like driving around going to video stores together and like looking at tapes and, you know, she's telling me stories about Clue Gulliger and who I also knew at the time, talking about working on Return of Living Dead and all this. It was just a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. And the movie, you know, there was some, look, I was green and so I made some mistakes on that movie, but uh, we... You know, overall, I had fun making it. It kind of dragged. I mean, her stuff we shot in a, over a few days, and that was fine. No problem. But we had little bits and pieces, kind of you could call them pickups, I guess, to get later on. So the, the movie kind of took a while to complete the shooting and then to complete the editing. Um, never seemed like there was enough money or whatever to keep an editor on the film for, like, the duration. So <laughs> there ended up being, like, three editors. I mean, I even edited part of it. Um like the first third of it I edited and then it passed to somebody else. But, um, it, that movie just got locked up. Like, well, and then a couple of months ago, I, I'm not sure if you were aware of it, but, uh, uh David Sterling released it. Um, yeah, well, no, I do know about that. <laughs> that's, that's the thing with it. Well, you know, it's ridiculous. It's like, it's bounced around. There's a lot I could say about that. I mean, it, it was, he did hand it over. It was always his movie. I should start by saying that he paid every, he paid for the whole thing out of his own pocket. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's no distributor involved with it. And he, I guess he did like some real minimal uh, release with Wave Home Video, which okay. you're familiar with them. Yeah, Wave, I, Wave. I am familiar okay. with them. So you know who that is. Okay, so he, he did something with them that I never saw. I've seen the artwork from it, but I've never seen a tape. I don't know, it was very limited. And then, that was like in 2002 or whatever, it was 2003. And then he handed it over to this company called Leo Films, who I made Evil Sister 2 for, and I made The Bewitching for, and and um, he, Leo was going to release it through their company. And I was like, oh, great. And I actually was, I worked with Leo. I mean, they actually hired me to do extras for it. And so I got like a new transfer done with this guy I was working with. I got extras done. We authored the DVD. I mean, everything was completely done, literally, like 100% ready. To go. All you need to do is like create art. I mean, artwork was created too. All you need to do is print the sleeves and like slap them in the cases and they were ready to go. And... Dave came in, I have to say this, I'm sorry, but he came in and spoiled the deal. He kind of came in and, uh, you know, started saying things about some, there's kind of a music rights, some kind of music rights issue with a song that Linnea had done, and it was like a song that she performed that was in the movie, and he basically came out of the woodwork and said, hey, this, I don't want this thing to come out, or this shouldn't come out, because it's got this song in it, and this and that, and you're going to have problems, and, and unfortunately, 
uh, you know, Leo Films sort of decided to side with him and not do anything with it. And so all that work was for nothing, basically. <laughs> it was very frustrating. And then, um, uh, and then he wound up taking it and releasing it himself. <laughs> so, you know, it's like, well, I guess you just wanted to release it yourself, didn't you? You know, you, it wasn't really about a music rights issue or, or whatever, because we did go back and even recut it and cut the song out of it and everything. But you know what? By then it was too late. Uh, he had kind of poisoned the well and and uh, screwed up the release. So that was, and that's something recent. And I don't even work with this guy for like, I haven't worked with him since 2003. Okay, <laughs> so like he's still trying to you know kind of poison the well in every any way he can. I'm sorry to say, but that's the type of person he is. And you're talking about a little tiny movie that like hardly anyone even cares about. Um, you know, okay, Linnea's in it, so some people might like to see it for that, but it's not going to be a big seller for anyone, whoever takes it, whoever releases it. It's it's just, you know, but at least let it have a, re a re real release as opposed to a video on demand, Dave Sterling prints a DVD and scribbles on it and, and mails it out to somebody. You know what I mean? It's just It's just too bad that it couldn't, get that um release through you know through leo but <sighs> totally understand I mean, it's an old movie. I, from what i understand kind of, like, this... i really want to spend my time keep screwing around with old things from from 2000 or from it's... 98 98 i mean it's more than 20 years old now it's painstaking that's why you move on to new it... projects because you you can't keep uh, some of these things it's, you don't want to go back to them anyway, and it's and then, it's painstaking because you, know. you you know you you wanted to start a relationship with him at the time, you know, mm -hmm. and it just you know it, it it's like he had to step just one more mile on the uh, on that uh, that film. It's ridiculous. Oh, he even put it. I mean, you should have seen. I mean, I saw it at one point. He had it was like a different. It was a different version of the movie, like. When I basically he imprinted his own name like all over the opening credits just to make sure he got like proper he, what he felt was proper billing because because like when I shot the credits they were like literally shot on paper that was burning um, I filmed them myself I had like all these credits printed up because it's all about a, it's a movie within a movie and it's about a script and all this kind of stuff so the opening titles show pages burn like each person's name is like burning from underneath like I would light them from underneath and show the paper burning right. Well, the producer credit, I put him and me on there because I felt like I produced it as much as he did because I did. I found the location. I got all the actors. I got Linnea and so on and so forth. Um, and he must have just hated that. So then, and he, but he couldn't really change it because it wasn't like a video, you know, thing where you could go and re whatever redo it. So he just put his name, I remember on the opening title card, like the last card you see, Screen Queen, and Dave Sterling presents. It's like, yeah, we got the idea. Dave Sterling, did you make it clear enough? <laughs> you know, we just saw your name like a minute ago. Let's let's do it again, you know. So just, well, it's ridiculous, you know, <laughs> it's ridiculous stuff. But the, the um, you know, whatever. I mean, he, he gave me my first shot with that and, and other shots too. And what I've always said, which I think is a very fair assessment is it was a mutually beneficial relationship um you know he got movies that were very uh, i worked very hard on um to write and direct and sort of ghost produce and he got uh, and i got to you know have a lot of work and uh get some movies out there that you know uh, 
help my career. You know, some of them did, some of them didn't. But, you know, a lot of times you even didn't even know which was which it was going to be till the dust had settled, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, but sometimes you have a good feeling about it. I had a good feeling about Death Factory when we were making it, and it was successful. And I had a fairly good idea about Camp Blood when we were making it, although I didn't think it would go as far as it did. You know. Well, uh, since you mentioned Death Factory several times, why don't you tell us about the uh, that project and um, maybe your uh, your your film in the uh, the uh, Witchcrafts uh, uh, series that you did? Sure. Yeah, those were both the same year. Um, yeah, Death Factory was a like a um, you know it's it's a kids getting killed in a in a building movie, but it has a sci-fi horror kind of overlay to it. Um, the creature, the killer, is kind of like a mutant, you know, this female mutant. And we, it's funny because, like, you know, people sometimes ask me about Tiffany Shepes, and she came in to read for one of the victims, mm-hmm. like one of the screaming girls, you know, gets killed and whatever. And I don't know if she said it or we both started talking about it, but, you know, we basically sort of arrived on the idea that it might be cool to have her play the monster, you know? And because I was thinking of sort of the Melinda Clark in Return of Living Dead 3 sort of model, you know, and I wanted to do something like that. So we had like a tough, kind of like a good actress, really, a tough actress who's, you know, good with her physicality and everything to play that part. So that's what we ended up doing. And she thought, you know, she liked the idea and I liked the idea. And um, I think it was different, something different, you know, than she had done before. And, um, you know, it was it was a tough shoot. We're shooting, it's funny right now, it's starting to get very hot in L.A., or at least it is right now, and we shot that movie in, like, the summer, and it was super hot, and we're shooting in this haunted attraction that had no air conditioning, no electric, it had some electricity, but no running water, and it was, it was just insane, you know, mm-hmm. it was just, like, really, really grueling, um, and we're inside all the time, so it's getting very hot in there. You know, you had to create this, this impression of nighttime interior. So a lot of things had to be blacked out and covered up. Um, you know, it was a grueling shoot. It did go over time. I remember uh, the owners, you know, there were all kinds of <laughs> there were all kinds of things going on with that movie. I mean, the, the, the deal, even the location, guy who made the deal for location, turned out he was, it wasn't really his deal to make so you know the actual owner showed up one day and was like who are you guys and what are you doing in my hot attraction and, you know and then we had to like sweet talk him into like oh please let us shoot her for a few more days you know we're almost done <laughs> you know <laughs> we won't we'll be out of here soon we won't leave any fake blood yeah right you know um well we did so that you know that was interesting um <laughs> interesting shoot ron jeremy was in the movie um i originally didn't want him in the movie i was like i don't want I don't want Ron Jeremy in my movie with porn associations and all that. But he actually ended up being really cool, really professional, really funny. And, um, you know, we worked, I mean, I worked with him for one day. It's, and he was. It's, he was it's real cool. funny. From what I understand, Ron Jeremy can, uh, can, uh, can play uh, some really straight characters. Oh, and, yeah, and, totally. And, and, no, he's, he's, he's really good. And, and not, I mean, and I'll tell you, man, I mean, not only is he good, but like he was serious. I remember he came like prepared. He even had like. He like blacked out his some of his teeth because he's playing a bum, and he was like, "Oh, I did this. What do you like? What do you think about this?" And, and he was far from hacky. Like he really, he really wanted to do a good job, the best job he could do. And then like we would be, we were shooting in the middle of the night um, on that, and it was one of these shoots where you start with normal schedule, like you start with more like days, like you're shooting daytime hours, 
and then you keep going later every day. So then your <laughs> call time gets later. So the next thing you know, you know, your call time is like 5 p.m., you know, and you're shooting till 7 a.m. the next day or something. And um, so Ron Jeremy was funny because he, he would keep people, like, cracking up and laughing when it's, like, you know, really late and everybody's tired. And, and, and then actually there was an incident where he even got – he didn't get arrested, but, like, <laughs> he was covered in fake blood, and he went out to use, like, a public telephone, and some cops saw him and, like, pulled – like, all these people pulled over, and they, like, came out, what are you doing? What's going on over here? And, <laughs> You know, he had to explain it, and then they oh, realized who he was. Oh, you're Ron Jeremy. Oh, you know. Oh, yeah, we're making a movie in this haunted attraction over here, you know. So just another day in the valley, you know. So it was um, it was interesting. It was, a, it was a, you know, and it was it did very well, and it was nice to see. Got some better reviews, uh, I think, for sure. And the Brain Damage Films promoted the heck out of it. So it, it got everywhere, you know, uh, and it got in Blockbuster. Mm-hmm. So that was a nice little, you know, um, send out extra little, you know, cherry on, on top, I guess, or whatever, <laughs> you know, for all the hard work we did. At least we would, you know, we'd see it in major chains and stuff. Um, and then Witchcraft 12, yeah, I did that later that year. And that's a movie that I actually have pretty much settled my piece with that movie <laughs> at this <laughs> point. If you had talked to me about that movie like five years ago or something, I would have been like, you know, foaming at the mouth or whatever. But like I did a podcast with somebody that was just all about the witchcraft movies. Mm. Or they asked me a ton of questions about it. But I used to be real unhappy with it because I tried to make like a film noir, modern noir uh, type of a film and make more like a crime film that had some supernatural aspects. But was basically a crime movie, like To Live and Die in L.A. or Cop. Or I know these are high, you know, you're talking about major movies here, really great movies. Well, I was trying to do something like that, mm-hmm. um, you know, with what we had. And, you know, of course, you know, on some level you could say that the sex scenes and the goofiness kind of, you know, went out over whatever my Michael Mann or William Friedkin aspirations were. But it... It's. I mean, I, I actually think it's a fun movie, and I and some people like it. Some people do prefer it to some of the other, uh, you know, uh, installments. And we had a lower budget. You know, it was like witchcraft movies have been shot on film since the first movie, but when it got to my movie, they decided to shoot it on video. So I was kind of annoyed about that. Okay. You know, um, I'd been hoping for. Big, you know, at least what they had on Witchcraft 11, which I don't think was a lot, <laughs> but it was, but it was more than we had on, on 12. Um, well, but, you know, I, I know that I mean, uh, I, this went out. Like I said, I, I gave it, I gave it my best shot. And there's things in it that I think are fun. And I think it if, moves along pretty quickly. And if I remember they, correctly, this also went out on one of those Brentwood four films. That it did. Things. It did. And that's probably how a lot of people saw it because, uh, you know, talking about dropping the ball with releases, like the movie, I mean, there was a DVD release of it, a standalone DVD, but like, I don't know where those went. You know, I don't know whoever saw those. Just like Babes, uh, Babes in the Woods, that ended up on, uh, on Babes one in of the those. Woods, yeah, that never had, that never had a standalone DVD ever. Um, that was in, in a fact, fact, a fact, couple of months ago, of it, a, a, a couple of months ago, he also farmed out Babes in the Woods and Babes in the Woods too. Um, yeah, believe it or not. <laughs> well, Finally. well, you know what? I mean, I, I remember hearing about that babes too, when you know, when during the time, and I must at the time it didn't even hit me, but like later on, I was like, oh, I guess I must have started another <laughs> franchise, you know, because it's like 
Camp Blood, Death Factory, Dave's in the Woods. <laughs> okay, so Dave's in the Woods maybe isn't was well known, but hey, there is a Dave's too um, out there. But um, yeah, those movies kind of they were more like um, the real market for those was was more like pay per view. Uh, as I yeah the way I uh, on it, that it soft like core channel late at night, right? <laughs> yeah, it was a you know three dollar thing in your hotel room or whatever. You know the you know they were doing. I mean, I mean there is a. I actually have a copy of this. There's a of all places, Australia. There's a release of Babes in the Woods in Australia. Really, like a standalone DVD. Yeah, and it has the artwork that it's the original artwork that they had on their flyers and stuff back then uh, okay. that I have. And, um, yeah, so it did get that. But, yeah, I remember when those came out because I ordered them. I was like, wow, I'd like to have a copy of my movie on some physical media. I guess I'll, I guess I'll order those because, uh, you know, Dave's was, yeah, definitely got dumped into the, in those packs. And, and Witchcraft and Witchcraft 12 and Lord of the Vampires are in those packs um, from back then. So if you want to see some of my Vista Street output, you know, uh, which is otherwise hard to find, there you go. You know, Definitely. But, uh, and Witchcraft Twelve is another one. I'm like, I don't think they're going to make more of these. Well, they did. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I remember they did like a 13 that was like farmed out to some guy. Like, like it wasn't made in L.A. It was made in Texas or something. I was like, oh, all right, you know. And and Vista Street was like, they had nothing to do with it or whatever. And I was like, oh, I guess that. And then I didn't hear anything about it. And, you know, I figured that's it. You know, and but you know, I, of course I've aware that there have been more since then, but <laughs> yeah, the whole franchise it's... is weird because you, you, you know, there was almost no continuity and, and, um, you know, it was certain characters you had to, to use, but other than that, you could kind of create your own story. <laughs> so that was kind of fun. You know, it was, it was kind of fun to step into it and, um, you know, and I, I should point out that when I was in high school, uh, I had a poster for witchcraft two. You know, that I got from, like, my local video store or whatever, Witchcraft 2, The Temptress. You know? <laughs> and so, you know, it's kind of, it, you know, you can, whatever you want to say about budget or whatever, there is something cool about now you're directing part of a franchise that you were a fan of growing up or you, you know, had the poster on your wall or whatever. It's just kind of surreal. Which um, reminds me, me um, uh, I know that you probably get asked about this film a lot. Uh, but uh, but within the woods. Uh huh. Um. How uh, uh, how did you feel about making a third film for the franchise? Well, I was actually very happy to do it. I mean, that was see, you know, you you know, mentioning that movie kind of puts us in another time frame, you know, because the last thing I did for Dave and all that was a movie called Gosk that I was actually really happy with, but had to battle had major editing battles and to the point where he was actually threatening to call the police to remove me from the editing room. Mm. Um, you know, that was my cue to get away from him and say, okay, bye, done. And if you're, you know, I worked on some other things, worked on some development and uh, on some other scripts, some bigger projects. And, you know, Within the Woods was a movie that my wife and I, felt like it would be a cool thing to start our production company with. We had just started the company and I was looking to get, you know, project off the ground and I figured, you know, the maybe one of the easiest things to do would be another Camp Blood movie. But it wasn't I mean, to be honest with you, I was really excited to do it and to, you know, work with her and, you know, we did get the you know, we did get the green light and we did get some money from from Razor to make the movie and 
it was really nice to be making a Camp Blood movie that was not in 3D, and that was actually the money was being spent on the movie, um, not being pocketed. So, you know, I was fine with it. I was actually fine with doing it, and I felt like enough time had gone by that personally I was able to come up with an angle that that I thought was kind of cool and fresh, which was, well, at the time, I mean, reality shows were really big, shows like Survivor and, and stuff like that, and they still are, really. But maybe not those competition-type shows where people were jumped into the wilderness. That was really the time for that. This is like 2005. So... I figured, yeah, let's do a Camp Blood 3, and the show, that the reality show they're on is called Within the Woods, sort of a tip of the hat to Sam Raimi, obviously. I did not think at the time that that would become the title of the movie, but um, it was not hard to come up with when Razor said, hey, we we really want to release this, we don't want to release this as Camp Blood 3, what other other titles do you have? And I said, well, how about just Within the Woods, you know, and they went for it. I think they should have released it as Camp Blood 3. I really think they should have done that. Uh, I think it was a huge mistake um, of them not to do that because it was confusing to people. Um, you know, the fans who liked the first two movies were not definitely not immediately aware that there was a, this was a third movie. Um, that was a big mistake. Um, you know, have, you know, look, they and they were they were very hands off with us in in every way and very supportive. So basically a very good experience, but I just thought that the retitling was a mistake, okay. you know, but I was happy and very happy to make the movie. And we had a great DP on that, uh, who I hadn't worked with before, but who did some wonderful work. Uh, we had a higher, it was just with a higher end, you know, video, the quality of video had gone up quite, which is now we're getting into the world of, of digital video. Really, we're not in analog or mini DV or any of that stuff anymore. You mm-hmm. know, we were in 24P and we were in another world. Everything was changing so quick. Um, now it didn't matter, you know, hardly anyone shooting on film at all by this point. You know, you, you had cameras that were good enough, to HD cameras and stuff, that you didn't even need that. So it was, uh, it was a different world, and the movie was able to benefit from a, you know, higher-end, um, higher-end technology and a better production, you know. So, yeah, I'm, so I enjoyed making it. I'm happy okay. with it. Uh, had a good time, pretty good time making it. You know, it was it was tough. I mean, the the first day we we're shooting, we we're shooting in some woods that we had to cross. We, it wasn't there before, but there had been a lot of rain right before we shot, and there was a literally a raging river. Like we had to cross a river by building a bridge. We had to build a bridge so we could cross this river because <laughs> it was. I'm not kidding. I mean, we literally had built a bridge out of. Um, uh, pylons or the, you know these like you know what I mean like these big pieces of wood we had like everyone had to get involved put gloves on and we like took these pylons out of some construction yard and built a bridge weighted them down with rocks so we could cross the the river <laughs> and by the end of the day and it, you know it still there was some more rain to come and by the end of the day the, the all the bridge had swept away <laughs> and the river was rising and we had to um, we were like almost waist deep in the water to uh just to get out of there, you know. So it was, so I'm not saying it was an easy movie to make, um, but it was a pleasant experience as these type of films go. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, the, the, physical, the physical challenges and the weather and all that stuff, I could talk about that on any film that I've done. That's not really the point. 
the point is, what kind of attitudes do people have? What kind of roadblocks do people throw? What kind of egos do people have? Mm -hmm. um, how, you know, and, and who's working for you? And who's working against you? Who's working against the movie? And wasting time with arguments that about the discussions that should have been decided a long time ago. That's the kind of stuff that weighs a movie down, makes a movie go over schedule. Uh, and did some of that happen? You know uh, what I mean? Actually, I have a question about uh, related to the Within the Woods. Uh, sure. It's my favorite of all the Camp Blood series. Oh, thank you. Well, I, I appreciate is, that. Uh, which is a shame that it did not get the uh, label number three, but I had a couple questions in relation. Um, one of the things I thought about when watching it for the first time was uh, Halloween, I think it was Resurrection, when mm -hmm. it actually uh, dealt with that similar concept at the time. Do you feel right. like that was an influence in any way, shape, or form in uh, relation to the film? I'll tell you something weird. It, was, it really wasn't directly. But okay, on a weird note, I'm actually friends with, actually he passed away uh, early this year, but I was friends with Larry Brand who wrote that movie. Um, like, he, I've known him since I moved here. Really cool guy. And um, he wrote that Halloween Resurrection with the reality show concept and all the cameras. And I remember going to see it in the theater and I didn't hate that movie the way some people were aggressively against it. I thought it was entertaining and fine and I'm, and I'm a pretty big Halloween fan. It didn't bother me as much as it bothered some people. Having said that, I was not thinking about that when we were doing Within the Woods. I really wasn't. I was, I was just thinking, or I should say, we're writing it. I was just thinking about shows like Survivor and all these competition shows that would just, you know, drop people into. Because I'll tell you what, I'd written a script. Maybe the bigger reference point was an unproduced script that I'd written. Um, I wrote a script for the Demon's Kiss guy. Uh, called Survive the Night, which was like a reality show in a house, sort of like Big Brother type thing if we were getting killed. But it was a similar type of idea where people have to stay the night and win a million dollars and, you know, that type of thing. So probably, if anything, Survive the Night, an unproduced screenplay, was more, um, you know, in my mind than, than Larry's movie, than his, the Halloween movie. Uh, so, so, yeah. It, it really was a, a really uh, amazing concept, especially at the time uh, when everything really was so reality-based yeah. at that time. And uh, I, I was curious because I, I admit, uh, as a fan of the uh, Camp Blood series, and um, I felt like my interest had waned uh, up until it got to uh, its own stride again throughout mm. uh uh, as far as things goes, uh, as far it surely should have been the uh, third of the uh, series. Uh, was there amazing? Is there it is. It is the third. It is the third of the series, and that's you know talking about Starling. That's one of the things that really annoys me about him, to be honest with you, is that he goes around acting like it doesn't exist. I know he doesn't want to think it exists because he didn't produce it, um, but it does exist, and he didn't produce it, but it's still Camp Blood Three, and that's that. And, you know, it's been Camp Blood 3 ever since it was made, and it, it was listed as so Camp Blood 3 as an alternate title or whatever, just because Razor retitled it. It's always been Camp Blood 3. Um, so, you know, I, I, that really doesn't, I, I don't think, I don't appreciate that. You know, and I, I know everybody's, you know, part ways with people, and, you know, they go do whatever, and, you know, you go do your project, and they do theirs, but I don't think it's very cool to go around pretending that somebody's movie isn't there, or... Uh, you 
know, carrying on like that. I just think it's really low class. And, and I think people kind of know it. They kind of recognize that behavior and they get it. You know, I mean, some people maybe they don't care, but I think, well, yeah, I think a lot of fans, they get what's going on and, and, uh, they, you know, <laughs> they're not thrilled, you know, uh, and they, they stick up for me too, which is nice to see sometimes, but, you know, uh, but I'm glad you appreciate it. I'm glad you appreciate it. I mean, that's one of the things that we, you can do sometimes with these smaller films, or you certainly could back then, is we made the movie for Razor, and, you know, we were shooting it in uh, March, let's say, of 2005, and they said, this movie's going to come out in September, you know, so you've got a, you've got a hard date that you've got to complete and deliver. And the movie. But the great thing about that is the movie's going to come out and it's going to be topical. It's going to be, you know, current, you know, it's, it's not going to be like, oh, three years later we released it because we forgot we had it. And, you know, we, <laughs> we, put, we put the, we're looking, going to the stock room. We always, we had this tapes here, I guess we'll put it out and then it's too late. Um, so we were, I just thought it was a fresh way to reinvigorate the camp blood, um, thing and also just have fun kind of, to me, making fun of satirizing the type of people who do reality shows, which I think, if anything, that's even more, you know, obvious nowadays with a lot of these singing competitions, is it's just, it's so much about people just um, getting attention for themselves, uh, and The Bachelor is another one, where they just, you know, it's more about people going, okay, how can I use this show to promote myself? How can I use this show to promote my brand? Um you know, whatever they've got to, that they're hawking. And I think it's gotten more and more like that over time. So, so I think the movie was, um, you know, definitely ahead of its time in that respect. So, okay. Um, you know, moving, uh, oh, go ahead, go ahead. Uh, I just have one more final question. Um, sure. and one of the, uh, I am actually very much a, a collector of physical media when it comes to, um, when it comes to the genre, and of course, uh, having the original Camp Blood trilogy uh, DVD sets, it was, uh, mm. which is, of course, is out of print, unfortunately. Mm -hmm. um, uh, do you feel like there's any particular print or uh, release of that series that you feel was a uh, was a good release of the series? Um, do you feel like it has been released at the at the period? That oh, you mean like the ones from before, or like what's the best release of it, or? Because the, the trilogy was actually my idea. Um, that was I actually pitched that idea to Razor because I didn't think they did enough with Within the Woods. Like they released Within the Woods, and it kind of was like partly, you know, because they didn't you, you know they didn't call it Camp Three, it didn't really go that far. And so I was like, man, we got to get Within the Woods in front of the, the fans. Like we got to let people know this is Camp Three, and we got to get it out there. And so I actually suggested that. I said, why don't we just put bundle them? Because they were bundling things like crazy back then anyway. I said, why don't we just bundle them? They're all part of the same series. Call it the Campo Trilogy and, and, and do that. So that's actually why they did that. Um, and I think that's one of the best ways to, to have all three movies. Now, of course, within the woods, you know, single the single DVD has extras on it that are not on the, um, on the pack, you know. Um, so... So there's that, you know, but I don't know. I, I think the best release has yet to happen. You know, <laughs> I, I think that the best releases of those movies is almost like, you know, in the future sometime or something, because I feel like they haven't quite gotten the justice and the, the extras commentaries. I mean, I've never been able to do anything like that. Um, no one ever asked. So, you know. Mm -hmm. And uh, though I know it's uh, another word, like, 
uh, wanting to move forward. Um, just as a final uh, note, I know that uh, Camp Blood Kills was a recent release uh, uh, documenting a lot of the uh, more gory aspects of the uh, films past those trilogy. Is there anything that you thought that you were particularly proud of uh, in that original trilogy, uh, kill-wise, Oh, oh. Oh, I like thought we well, I'll tell you, I mean, probably, not probably, for sure, the best kills we have were in the second one. I mean, like, like because uh, what happened was we had this, this woman that, okay, my, my friend Justin did the effects on the first movie, and he was like an intern, more or less, who, you know, got bumped up, and he did a real nice job on the first movie, but, you know, he didn't have a lot of means to work with. Well, I asked him if he could do part two, and he was busy, he had moved by that point, and he gave me a, a, a number of this other lady who was an effects person, and she turned out, it wasn't so much her, but her connection. She's like, well, yeah, I could do it, but I've got my instructors who, you know, at this makeup school who, who might want to get involved in this. That changed everything. Camp, then that's, all of a sudden we had like a professional makeup crew. I mean, we we're doing live casts. Like every, I mean, I worked in effects before I directed anything. I worked on Brian Usna films and, and stuff like that. And I've been in a lot of shops, and I know a lot of sex people. And Campbell 2 was the first movie I directed where we had, like, a real effects crew with a lab, you know, and they were, like, casting <laughs> arms, they were casting heads, they were casting anything that was in the... So that's why all those kills came out so good. Plus, the guy who played the clown was friends with the um, makeup effects guy. He was, like, a professional stuntman. So this little movie, I mean, everything else about it stayed the same, you know, we're still shooting it with whatever mini DV camera or whatever, but we had this like incredible effects crew with all the t tubes and the pumps and all that. So, I mean, look, there's a kill that I like where a girl gets like a machete stuck in her mouth, like through her teeth. And then it goes out the back of her head. Um, I was always trying to come up with things I hadn't seen. The thing where the guy gets his eye gouged out with a bottle, um, you know, uh, Pat Thomas, my friend Pat, he, he plays like the stoner PA who gets his hand cut off and he's like got like a stump with blood shooting out of it. I mean, that was great. I mean, I remember shooting that and the blood kept going into his face and he actually started choking on the fake blood because uh, there was so much of it pumping out everywhere. It was like going into his mouth and everything. It was like, ah, you know, gagging. Um, all the kills in that, you know, pretty much all of them came out pretty good. And that's because we had these really talented, you know, hardworking makeup effects team on the movie. So that made, that was one that I really liked about Camp Blood 2. You know, I thought it, it delivered the gore effects of a bigger film. Um, you know. I, I was going to say, because, they, uh, because you had a lot of uh, thought about that on the original, is there a preference for uh, physical versus uh, digital effects when it comes to media? Uh, well, I'll, I'm not a fan of CGI. I, mean, I prefer physical effects. I mean, I I've, the only movie I've ever done where I, where I did a lot of, had a lot of CGI was this movie I did called Plagueers. Uh, it was a bigger film and, and it was, it made sense because it was in space and, you know, that kind of stuff with spaceships and, um, and alien, alien life forces and things like that that you, you just can't do any other way really, especially nowadays. Um, but having said that, the movie's full of chock full of monster suits and, um, you know, decapitations and, you know, blood tubing, spraying and all that. So for me, whether it's a slasher movie in the woods or it's a space horror movie or, or whatever it is, I'm always going to prefer that. And it's my background. It's the movies I grew up watching. It's, 
what I think fans like, and, and I mean, I'm, I'm a fan too, and that's what I like to see, and so yeah, I'm not a, you know, not a CG blood guy, you know, <laughs> I mean, I know, like I remember reading an interview with George Romero or something where he was doing, it was one of his later zombies, it was one of the later ones he did, and he said, oh, we're doing CG blood on this, because I don't want to waste my time, you know, I don't want to waste time cleaning up blood, and I understand what he means, you know, to reset and all that, it does take time to clean up and reset and all that stuff, but I don't know, man. I I, I just um, think it's a whole different effect you get when you when you do it, you know, for real. Definitely. I mean, uh, Camp Blood was like so bare bones anyway that there was no way that was even considered. I mean, you, and back then too, CG. If you didn't have a lot of money to do it, it looked pretty bad. Um, I think even that's if you why did, a lot of people, bad, you know. Uh, uh, but I, but anyway, yeah. I think so that's I'm, why I'm a lot of people a are. Uh, I think that's why a lot of people are looking at the camp, uh, uh, lo- looking back at the camp lot, and and and, and say, uh, starting to like your your style, uh, your style, uh, style. Because even though it, it, it was it was what you were doing that at at the time, a lot of people are starting to like it because of how bad the CGI is these days. Oh, I know. Oh, well, like, look, filmmaking is just like you know. There's a lot of things about modern. Well, it's really all modern. It's all all filmmaking. I wouldn't I wouldn't just say low budget or micro budget because it's definitely on studio level. There's there's just a tendency to shoot out everything on green screens, you know, and everything's CG and nothing's on location and all that. And I mean, I just I don't know. To me, like you know, people have their favorite parts of filmmaking, like you know, writing, writing, shooting, and editing. My favorite part's always the shooting um, because it's more an adventure. It's a physical adventure it's not sitting there with a computer typing up a script it's not being in the editing room which to me is i've had so many bad experiences probably that's why but i just Mm -hmm. i find it kind of tedious even when it's going well um i really love shooting and even when you have compromises every day you have issues every day dramas every day Mm -hmm. i just love to shoot and i love the physicality of the shoot and i love location shoots so that's just a big part of filmmaking to me um so I think people kind of are falling back on a lot of kind of lazier, less adventurous ways of doing stuff and more and more and more doing, being done in post, which I think is not, you know, it's just not the way films should be made. <laughs> and I know that's how they are made now. I'm not unaware of that fact. I just prefer to shoot on location. Have, I mean, even my last thing I did, you know, that actually it's coming out tomorrow. Um, high death. We shot on location. We had physical effects. We had, you know, all that stuff. You know, definitely. Um, I just enjoy that a whole lot more. I, I enjoyed it in when I first started directing, and I enjoy it now. You know, <laughs> twenty years later. So, moving on to uh, well, you did mention uh, uh, Angelique uh, just slight, uh, slightly. IMDb met, uh, uh, titles it as loving Angelique. So loving Angelique. Well, that was okay. I'll tell you why that happened. Why the title. It was called Angel. The distributor, first of all, that he had a poster for that before we ever made the movie. Like he pre-sold it on the poster. He's okay. like, you know, like it was the opposite of Demon's Kiss. It was the same company as that, but okay. Demon's Kiss. I pitched him the title, the concept, and he said, "Let's make it." With Angelica, it was like the opposite. He came to me with a poster and he said, "I've pre-sold this. Do you want to direct it or not?" You know, <laughs> um, and there was no script and nothing. You know, but but. Uh, you know, based on the poster and the, what he told me he wanted, you know, I, I 
you know, I wrote a erotic thriller, like I said, kind of a kind of like the Crush or Poison Ivy, you know, of a girl that kind of infiltrates a household and seduces okay. everything, destroys, and that type of thing. And um, I thought it would be a lot easier to make than Demon's Kiss because it was all in one location, but <laughs> it ended up being way harder huh. uh, because the guy was there all the time. He was his house we're filming in. So he would come down the stairs and be like, hey, breakfast and be like, well, can we put the camera, why are you putting the camera over there? Why don't you put it over here? You know? So it was way better, you know, to be on location somewhere and he didn't know what was going on and he couldn't interfere. So he interfered a lot on that. Um, and then when it got, it got finished and all that, and, and he had to change the title loving Angelique because Angelique is a, um, series of films, French films from the 60s, with like a pirate, like pretty high-profile adventure movies, Okay. with a pirate girl, like kind of cutthroat island type thing, okay? And there's a bunch of them, like it's like a series. Really? So he basically realized he couldn't do that, like he would get copyright infringement by doing that, so then it became Loving Angelique. It, you know what, it really didn't matter what it's called, because it barely got released. I mean, it, it was, that movie was never released in the U.S., Hmm. Um, it was released in Japan because I have a Japanese copy of it. I have a, a DVD of it. Um, it was released on VHS and DVD in Japan, but not here. Oh, okay. so, and I, you know what? I'm, it's one of those movies where I'm like, yeah, I guess that bums me out, but the cinema doesn't bum me out that much because I'm not that thrilled with the movie anyway. <laughs> you know, I mean, I think it's like a, you know, once again, post-production wise, hmm. You know, it was okay. It was, you know, okay experience, I guess. Uh, I hired a composer um, who did some pretty nice music for it. But, you know, probably at the end of the day, it wasn't really my cup of tea anyway. Um, and the lead actress was very difficult to deal with, very difficult. Um, and she literally tried to, like, quit, <laughs> you know, midstream or, you know, kind of get a... We had to call her agent and threaten to, like, sue, essentially, to get her to a movie. Um, <laughs> because she, she never she did, had and she been never contracted. did a film after that either. I should point out, um, <laughs> not not to sound you know bitchy or anything, but it was, you know, I think that was the end of her career. Yeah, pretty much. She pretty <laughs> much, you know, and you know, but but anyway, yeah. I mean, look, that was I did that, and then I did Lord of the Vampires, and I was kind of glad to do Lord of the Vampires at that point because at least I had more creative control. It was funny because like on Angelique, I. The guy continued to hire me to write things, um, but he never produced any of them, and then he, then he just kind of stopped the whole operation. Um, but, uh, you know, whatever. I did two movies with him, which is probably <laughs> funny. Um, <laughs> and, yeah, and it took forever <laughs> for it to come out, and it kind of showed up in IMDb and, like, you know, weird. I think it, oh, no, no, I know what happened. When it came out in Japan, it was called Lolita 2004 <laughs> because really? it came out in 2004. Um, and she was playing a Lolita type character. Okay. So, yeah. So, so we shot it in 2001. It took three years for it to come out. So, you know, <laughs> you know, it's just how these things are sometimes. So, Goth. Goth, yeah. Goth was um, that's something. That's one I'm really happy with. Okay. Um, you know, I pitched the idea to Darren Ramage, who is running Brain Damage Films. We did. I did Death Factory for him. I go back with him a long way because he was. We used to work at Dead Alive, where they released Camp Blood 2, and 
you know, Camp Blood and all this stuff. So mm-hmm. he knew me, and I, you know, I'd known him. I'd hung out with him, and and um, he liked Death Factory. He was really happy what we did on that. And so I pitched him Goth, which was, you know, kind of like a kind of like an all-night road movie, uh, character-driven horror movie. You know, it wasn't a slasher movie. It wasn't a monster movie. It was more psychological. It had plenty of nudity and gore and all that stuff in it, but it was more about the characters. And he liked it. He, he, he said, you know, this reminds me of, of myself when I was a teenager. Remember he said that. Mm-hmm. And I uh, said, so that's why I want to make this movie, because these characters remind me of myself when I was a teenager. And so... We made that, and I mean, it was a crazy shoot. We had a lot of locations, a lot of characters, and we shot. The one of the things I always remember about that shoot was we shot about most of it was done in the LA area, but we went up to about well, it was two hours north, or at least an hour and a half north. Maybe it was two hours north of here to a city called Taft, which is just a small town in in California, Northern California, kind of getting up there, and we shot this big club scene. If you've ever seen the movie, there's this big club scene at the beginning with okay. tons of extras and a band playing. It was a very big opening for a micro-budget you know, movie, my brain damage movie. And it was crazy because all the extras, you know, um, took them forever to show up. Uh, you know, the actors, and they took even longer for the actors to show up. We had to black the place out, I remember, and it just took a long time to get that going. And the extras started drinking. <laughs> it was a bar. This place was a working bar. And so they started drinking. So the band, I mean, by the time the band actually got on stage and started performing, you know, for the, for the movie, they were already, you know, half in the bag. I mean, they were, they were you know, getting pretty unruly. And um, okay. we did the scenes and everything, but it was crazy. And then we had to shoot a music video because that was part of the deal with them was, hey, I got this band They'll be in the movie, but you got to shoot a music video for them too, like the same day. <laughs> so, so we're up, and I'm look. I got paid extra for that and all that, but that wasn't really the point because there's only so many hours in a day. Oh yeah. And so we got up there, and we like I said, well, we're filming the movie stuff first. I don't care, you know. And we're, we got to get the footage for the movie in the bag. So we got that, and then we did the music video. It was pretty basic, but we did do, you know, we got coverage and everything. We had fun. They changed costumes, and we did it. We kept the crowd there for the music video, too. So it was a really drunk crowd at this point, throwing <laughs> things or throwing things at the actors. They were, you know, getting out of hand. And uh, we did it. And, you know, it was just a wild shooting day, um, a long shooting day, wild shooting day. But it was the first time I ever directed a music video, and the music video is on the DVD. So, okay. Well, that was cool. And, and there's a lot of nice people on that. Um, some of the guys in the band, one of them in particular, ended up scoring the film. He did a very cool score, very untraditional score um, <laughs> that I loved. And, um, you know, it was just, it was, it went over, you know, we went over schedule. I remember there were scenes that we were supposed to shoot that day that we didn't shoot because of the music video, <laughs> you know. Uh, we had now, to do them in L.A., but... It, uh, is Bewitched the same as the Bewitching? Yes, it is. That's a that's a stupid mistake that shouldn't be there. I mean, it was, <laughs> I mean the movie was. I'm not talking about the whole movie. Well, maybe I am. Um, it was. It was. You know, we originally shot. It was called Stage Fright when we shot it. It was filmed in a, a theater complex okay. in Hollywood. And I'm a huge fan of Stage Fright, the McKelly Suave film. So I was like, I'm just going to call the movie Stage Fright. Well, yeah, okay, I understand why they changed that title, but. They call it bewitching, and then 
for some weird twist of fate, the distributor on that um, changed it to Bewitched. He was trying to make it sound like an urban film or something. I don't know what he was trying to, to do with that. And for some film market that he went to, and then that's the title that ended up in IMDb. Okay. I don't know why. But that's what they took. And then I tried to get them to change it. They never changed it. I'm like, okay, <laughs> but whatever. I mean, that's a movie that very hard shoot. Um, we were shooting at nights, which is always bad for any movie. Um, it was very tough. And then the editing I was completely out of my hands. And they chopped that movie down. I mean, God knows how much footage was chopped out of that movie. <laughs> I mean, the, oh, it, was, it was very, very edited. And, you know, uh, and I don't think the, that editing improved it. Um, so, yeah, and you know. from what I understand, and, and, and the... it's very hard to find, which I'm okay with, you know, um, <laughs> it's a very hard movie to track down. And I'm like, yeah, that's all right. You well, know, I, know. I, I was very thankful for buying a copy from you when I did. Yeah, I've got a few copies. Yeah, I've, I've still got like a box of those. <laughs> <laughs> well, my I friend Brandon here might. Here, wants some here, you know, and I was like, okay. But Our, it, it, it just didn't get, uh, you know, it just didn't get out there. But it, it, once again, 2004 release of a movie that we shot in 2001, you know. My friend Brandon here is, will probably be happy to know that because he still has a lot to collect. Oh, and so, all right. Um, down the road, he'll probably be hitting you up. All right. <laughs> find if me on that's Facebook. okay. I mean, it's, I do. I do have a few of those left around here, um, you know. And it's it goes for like a hundred dollars now or something. And I promise you, that's not what I'm. That's not what I'm asking for. It. So you know, I'm gonna. You know, it, but it is very rare. Uh, definitely one of the rarest titles of mine. You know, that are floating around out there. So actually, as a Virginian native myself, um, actually, I come from. Um, mountains of Virginia, but of course settled in uh, Richmond, Virginia, so it's kind of... A, okay, I used to live in Richmond. I lived in Richmond for a few years when I was growing up. Roanoke, Richmond, Herndon, I mean, I, I lived all over Virginia. So kind of the happy medium, really, between um, the area and Virginia Beach, uh, which, of course, I've been there. My wife uh, graduated from uh, from Norfolk, uh, uh, Old Dominion. Okay, and, oh, uh, yeah, ODU, yeah, sure, yeah. Yeah. Uh, so I'm very familiar with the area. Um, of course, uh, I've gotten to know several directors from the area, like uh, John Johnson, Johnny Johnson. Uh, as I've heard that name. I've heard that name. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I know he is. But of course, uh, I'm I'm really happy with uh, seeing a film in this area, especially with the Richmond uh, Lincoln, of course, being filmed in the area. And um, we've had a, a couple of uh, people filming it over in Petersburg. Um, uh -huh. Have you uh, had any thoughts about returning to the area in the future? Uh, it, I know it's with, uh, funny. I'll tell you what I, I did have thoughts about that was, was in, oh, uh, gosh, when was this? 2012, maybe, or something. Because, um, and first of all, my parents moved. Like, they live in South Carolina now. So when I see my, you know, go back to see my family, I go to South Carolina, you know, I don't really go to Virginia anymore, but, but I was in, I was working on something in 2012, I had a movie, now you probably actually enjoy seeing it, it was the last high eight feature I did in Virginia Beach before I moved out here, it was called The Pact, and it's like a supernatural horror film at the beach, like the beach is a big part of it, like we shot at the beach, uh, but not at, like the touristy part, like more like up the coast a bit, um, but anyway, it's, it's a movie I did there, and in fact, speaking of Sterling and all that, 
that was my calling card when I moved out here. Like, I showed him the pact, and I never even said, oh, yeah, I think you can direct, you know. Um, <laughs> I'll let you direct something, you know. But that was the movie I was showing everybody, and in 2020, this is, no, the movie was made in, like, 95 or something. But in 2012, um, I did a, I gave it to a distributor who did, like, a limited edition VHS DVD release of it. Um, nice. And, and that sold out immediately. Now I've got the rights back to it now. We rescored it, like it's got an original score. And anyway, redid the sound job. It's a little bit better. And um, I'm going to do something with that. Probably not this year because I'm pretty, cause my schedule's getting more and more crowded as the year goes on. But maybe next year I'll do something with it um, in terms of like putting it out there again because it's, you know, I mean, if you like that type of filmmaking, like regional filmmaking, it's, it's fun to look at because you just see you see the, how the city was back then and you see environments and, you know, it just didn't look like that anymore, really. And it's just kind of cool. And for me, that did sort of make me want to go back there and do something back then, you know, when I was working on that, when I was prepping the, you know, doing the post on it, I was like, geez, that would be, you know, I mean, because that's where all my formative work was done. Um, my first things that were reviewed were made in Virginia Beach. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, in fact, if I, if I hadn't gotten called out here um, when I did, which was, frankly, I'm, I'm not sorry it happened, but I was, I was leaning toward going back there after college and trying to do stuff, um, do independent film stuff. It was just kind of, I don't know, it was, it was, it was tough. It was sort of tough to get to get things going, though, at the same You know what time. you should do? Uh, not a lot of work, I mean, for one thing. And there was a TV station there that, that was doing stuff, but they were, they would put me on on standby, you know, but they wouldn't, like, give me a full, you know, they wouldn't, like, bring me in full-time or anything. You, so know, what, just, I, you uh, know what you should do, though? Hmm. You should uh, go out and, and make a Within the Woods 2 and mm-hmm. make the movie how uh, you would have made your next Camp Blood movie the way you mm. wanted it to. Mm-hmm. If you had. <laughs> that's a good pitch. That's a good, I mean, that's, that's a whole lot better than somebody telling me, why don't you just make Camp Blood 4? You know? People used to say that to me all the time, and I'd be like, that's okay. Because like, I really was doing other things. I wasn't just saying, I don't want to do that. And now it's like, now that would really wouldn't make sense. But what you just said makes a lot more sense. <laughs> you know? Makes a lot more sense than that. So, you never know. You never know. And you never say never in this business, that's for sure. Because you you really don't know what's going to catch on or what's going to get sequelized or what's going to, you know, what opportunity is going to come up or what. I mean, <laughs> but seriously, and, and I say that in a, the best, I say it in a positive sense. I mean, you know, because I talk about a lot of bad stuff or whatever, but... Well, the reason why I say go process, and do that you know? is, 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 in a sense, it would kind of help you make peace with the whole situation. Yeah, oh, you know? I, I think I've, I've made peace with it. I mean, I'm just like, I'm just like, whatever. you got to move I mean, anything in this, you got to move on. True, you know? I mean, I've true. Moved on. I mean, to me, you know, if somebody keeps making, you know, spinoffs and... Uh, you know, inferior sequels, and that means they haven't moved on, you know, very much. Well, if you uh, ever you know. take my pitch up, uh, count me in as a producer. All right. All right. <laughs> I might just take you up on that. 
don't 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 say that you're, you're gonna have to take back later. You know, no, I'm not gonna later. take it back or anything. I just it, just give me a couple of months. Sure, sure. <laughs> I, I do agree that uh, with the Camp Blood trilogy, uh, especially in this area, of course, uh, when you come with Virginia, you always uh, get the uh, the benefit of having. Uh, no matter where you go, actually, uh, with the event event of having the old and the new uh, uh, as kind of a, uh, uh, what they call it, um, merged together. Uh, mm -hmm. There's mm -hmm. a lot of history and, of course, a lot of new stuff, uh, especially when you come to Northern Virginia versus uh, Central or even um, Eastern when it comes to Norfolk or, uh, or uh, Virginia Beach. But uh, you have a lot of places that a Camp Blood uh, type sequel. Uh, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. The woods, it's a whole different kind of woods uh, environment back there. You know, in fact, the woods that, oh, yeah. the woods where we shot, the woods where we shot the first two movies, you can't even film there anymore. Like, that used to be a free, free, whatever. We were there. We were there for free. I don't know if it was really free, but it was, we, you know, a place you could pull up off the freeway and, and go down the hill and you had these woods that were just, you know, these, you know, you could film a movie down there, and we did. Um, but when we were doing the third one, we started doing, you know, pre-production on it. Mm -hmm. The first things we did was drive me and Josephine drove out to the, out to the the exit there off the 118, and like, oh, now there's this big like, you know, fences around it, um, you know, signs and. No, 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 you know, pri not private property. It's state property, but it's just like very, um, you know, sectioned off and fenced, you know, fenced over and everything. So you can't really get down there anymore. But boy, man, we shot so many things in those woods back then. And we found some other woods that were further north, but, you know, um, but I know what you mean. It's a different kind of woods on the East Coast. Um, and those are great, you know, like the Friday the 13th or the Burning or those type of movies. I mean, that's. That's the best, you know. <laughs> um, uh, there really are two different types of genres. I mean, when you think about it, uh, as currently, uh, at least as far as Camp Blood 666 was concerned, they moved more into the supernatural, uh, whereas opposed to uh, Camp uh, the original trilogy, it was more of a real individual. Uh, uh, again, the third movie uh, definitely being uh, uh, separated, but still maybe attached to the other two. Uh, still, you felt like there was a real individual there. Uh, that was something I thought was amazing with the original movie. The original uh -huh. one is that you kind of felt like, yes, that could really be an individual uh -huh. sitting out in the woods. Right, right, so, right. Yeah, yeah well, I, yeah, I thought it was a weird, you know, it was a, a weird... Uh, image, you know, that, that had this clown, you know, totally inappropriate, you know, in the woods like that, like just the guy with the mask is, you know, out there. And I try not to, you know, overthink it too much because I feel like, and this happens to franchises all the time, is that the more that, you know, movies you get and the more overthought the backstories get and then it starts to get ridiculous and kind of fall, starts to fall apart. Um, I think, you know, the best slashers, there's a, you know, there's a real kind of cursory explanation or something there that's told around the campfire or gets introduced in the first five minutes and then you're you're just off and running. You know, I, I just I don't think that horror movies in general benefit from a tremendous amount of exposition or a tremendous amount of backstory. I think it's kinda it it just doesn't most of the time um, doesn't work that well. But I will tell you this, since you say you like within the woods so much, uh, we were talking about the masks earlier. 
the mask in Within the Woods was made for the movie. That was the only film of the Three Camp Bloods that we actually had a mask specially fabricated and painted for the movie. So that was cool. That was a, <laughs> a nice, um, for me, you know, you anything you can do, anytime you can have anything made especially for your film or music composed especially for your film or whatever, it, it makes such a difference. Um, as opposed to just, you know, like with the first two Camp Bloods, it was just some music that, that Dave got from some guy, and it was just kind of plopped in there. And, and some of it I liked, actually, but it wasn't composed for the movie. So, you know, I just, I just think it's, you know, as a director, you, those, are the, those are the things that you value and you, uh, you want for your film, you know, um, whatever the budget is. And you can usually, even if you don't really have any money to spend, you can usually find someone who's interested in, in doing that, doing a score, you know, it just makes the whole thing more unique. And I think people can tell too when they watch it, but. It, it reminds me a lot of how the original Friday 13th movies, the first and second movie, and a lot of people I think underrate those movies uh, when it comes mm-hmm. to the whole, uh, translate to the whole of the series because there, there was a definite real uh, scariness of it um, when it came to this because you could look at those things that individual could be out there. Right, uh, right. Especially with the original, because that just that twist at the end with the uh, mother being, yeah. uh, being the killer. Uh, just, uh, well, we tried it. That was something else. You know, it's interesting you said the twist at the end, because, like, that's, like, one of those decisions you have to make when you're writing a film like that, like a slasher film, is do you want it to be, like, Madman or The Burning and just be like, there's this guy and he's the killer and that's it. Mm -hmm. He's a monstrous guy and he's going to kill everybody. All right, done and done, you know? Or the other side of the, you know, the spectrum would be like Kevin Williamson where there's like a hundred different explanations at the end and there's like two killers or three killers and you're like, what? You (laughs) know? So to me, like what you just said, like Friday the 13th, that's, I wasn't thinking of it particularly, you know, we were doing it, but it was, it does hit that kind of a nice uh, sweet spot in the middle where there's a killer but it's a mystery killer and then there's some kind of a reveal but it's not like completely overdone or over you know overthought um you know i think honestly like sean cunningham and i know he is i think he's very on some level probably very surprised uh by how well friday 13th did and how much you know it's gone on i'm sure he's surprised you asked him when he made that movie did he think it was going to generate the franchise he wouldn't he he didn't he was trying to make a, a you know movie that would, would do well but he didn't think it would go take off like that and i think that part of the reason it did is once again it's kind of a simple explanation it's not a super convoluted uh ending but i think it's nice to have some kind of twist at the end i've tried to do that with all the camp bloods and another thing i have to say is and this is was far ahead of the trend i've always had strong female characters in my horror films I've had strong female leads, and I've had a lot of strong female killers. Um, in fact, I might have more of those than anybody. Um, if you look at my work, film by film, it's just something that occurred naturally to me. I thought it was more interesting, but, you know, um, especially nowadays, where everyone's pushing for more women in movies and women in horror and all that, but I think we, you know, we had a lot of that back then. Mm-hmm. I just don't think anybody really... There's one book I read that picked up on it, but not in general, you know. Um, I haven't really heard a lot of people bring it up. But I think it's kind of cool to have a little reveal and, you know, 
have it be a character that you thought you knew, but you don't really know them, you know, as well as you thought you did. And they've got some kind of a dark, they've got a secret reason for being there, <laughs> you know? Um, so it's, it's fun. Understandable. Uh, yeah. uh, so I, I, I'm going to talk about two more uh, more titles here, and then we'll talk about your high uh, 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 your high eight movies. Sure, sure. So um, uh, the, the first one is Mutation, and the second one, even though I know you mentioned some of it, uh, uh, Plaguers. Just a little bit more into yeah. it. Mutation, I'll, briefly, Mutation was, was a, a movie that we, we did for the same company as uh, uh, Within the Woods. They, were, they liked Within the Woods. They asked us to do another one, like, almost right away. Um, it was based around these two kickboxers who were not actors, <laughs> Um, they're very nice guys, very good at what they do. And so knowing that these kickboxers were going to be in the movie and they're friends and they had all these routines that they could do and stuff, I, you know, figured, well, I'm going to, I'm going to do a movie like Silent Rage, that Chuck Norris movie, you know, kind of mi mi mixed up, um, part sci-fi with karate, whatever you want to say, martial arts. And that's what we did, you know, um, we, you know, Joseph and I did it. It was the second movie we did. Actually, at that point, it was kind of it was well, the second movie we did through Nightfall. It was the third movie we did that year, um, and it was it was a you know we did it locally. You know, I, I had fun. It was fun working with those guys. I mean, the thing I probably remember the most about it was the was the fight sequences. Was just shooting those and choreographing those, and then they didn't need. I mean, they didn't need any choreography. They had their own choreography. They were very good with that so we did that oh and the other thing that happened with that movie was we had katie featherston in it in her first film appearance who ended up being in paranormal activity and uh, all the sequels so that was kind of funny when when paranormal activity finally came out all the magazines you know entertainment weekly and everybody mentioned mutation in their articles because that was her only other credit you know at the time <laughs> so that was interesting um and then Plagueers was a much more, I mean, I could say a lot about that. I won't, I'll try to restrain myself. And it was a big, the biggest budget I've ever had, um, shooting on stages. Uh, we had Steve Rails back in the cast, who I'm a huge fan of. Uh, I, I wrote the role for him. I don't usually do that, but I wrote the role thinking of Rails back. And my wife, uh, who's producing Plagueers, she got Rails back on board. And we shot that movie we had a longer schedule and we shot it on stages and we had a ton of effects, ton of special effects. It's sort of like a sci-fi horror movie, uh, kind of in the vein of, you know, the thing or, um, or even, you know, some movies like forbidden world or galaxy of terror, those types of things. It's, it's a fun eighties style, uh, horror sci-fi movie with a ton of effects and action in it. It came out, I mean, that was also my first time getting to go to film festivals. I mean, all these movies I made before, they never played any festivals. Nobody ever submitted them to anything. They were just going straight to DVD or whatever. The Plaguers, it was a different thing, and we submitted to festivals. We got into some. We got to go to Spain, and uh, we won a best screenplay at one of the uh, festivals there. Just, you know, well, and festi great experience. The festivals. I had great experiences with that film. And, and, and people like the movie. I mean, it, you know, I. Anyway, what were you going to say? Uh, festivals really want a lot of money for uh, for uh, for what you're trying they, to well, submit. Well, well, I'll tell you something. This one, the one that we went we went to um, in 2000, 
eight, I guess it was, Estepona, they didn't want any money. In fact, really? festivals in Europe generally don't charge. Uh, European festivals generally don't charge admission fees. That's cool. It's more the U.S. ones that are got their hands and trying to get their hands in your wallet every chance they get. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, and I know it. I think it's a shame, and I think it's annoying. And people make a business out of these festivals. Um, you know, see how many things they can cram in, see how much money they can make, and and there's a lot of discontent and anger about this stuff. And I understand why. Um, I mean, I'm in a position where because I've made so many movies and have some titles that are well-known, uh, I can get usually get my films played, since Plaguers, we've usually got to get the films played in different venues and different fests and different screenings without paying admission fees. Okay. But, but that said, there's, I know there, there are tons of people who are paying fees and not getting much out of it, and they're getting tired of it, and I completely, 100% sympathize, and we will usually skip things that skip out on ones that don't, you know, they just want fees or that, you know, we're trying to solicit, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? Uh, that's, that's an issue. But it was fun for me on that movie because I just never got to have that experience of sitting with a, with a crowd in the audience and watch my movie and, mm-hmm. you know, hear people's reactions to the, to the action. So that's, yeah, Plagers is, is, is a movie I'm very proud of and, you know, it was a real uh, great directing experience for me to feel like I had a real support system and great crew and, um, you know, the effects guys I'd work with on Death Factory and smaller films, they got a bigger budget to make cooler stuff. And so it was really fun. You know, it was really fun. In fact, that movie is going to be coming out. You're going to be the first to hear it. That movie is going to be coming out in a special 10th anniversary edition later this year. Okay. So on Blu-ray. Um, it's going to... Still there? Uh, yeah. Um, in fact, um, Brandon, uh, Brandon was telling me that he's got a... Question for your pack movie. Uh, Question yeah, for what? The, the, oh, the pack? Oh, yeah, sure. That you did in, uh, I think it was 2013. Was that right? Uh, mm-hmm. 2013. Mm-hmm. Um, That's when it came out. Yeah, I mean, it was made in 95, completed in 95, but it wasn't released commercially till 2013. Yeah. Of course, uh, I've seen this film. Uh, I've seen, uh, uh, unfortunately, I've only seen a few. Uh, of course, uh, knowing that uh, a lot of it was shot locally, I'll have to look up the tears, uh, definitely, because um, I try to look up anything that's local. Uh, sure, right sure. Uh, but uh, as far as the pact, uh, I know that they had, uh, of course, a mainstream, uh, the pact, uh, released in 2012. Um, do you feel like that affected a lot of the distribution or uh, viewership? No, no, not at all. I mean, it's, there's been movies called The Pact, like, I mean, you type that title in IMDb and you'll probably find like 10 movies or 20 movies or something. That's that's one of those titles that keeps coming up, you know? Um, with, 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 with The Pact, yeah, I mean, when The Pact came out, it was literally like pitched to hardcore, like, SOV and indie horror fans, and, and it sold out in like eight hours, and um, it was a limited release. So it wasn't trying to compete with um, with any anything, really. I mean, it wasn't trying to compete with like, a, you know, mainstream titles that might share the same title or anything like that. Uh, I hadn't actually realized I'd watched your version of the film until uh, today, actually. Um, oh. which, is, uh, which, of course, of course, I've watched the mainstream version that's been released uh, recently. Well, not that recently. Uh, time flies uh-huh. when you're, as you get older, uh, of course. But um, 
but of course I hadn't realized I'd watch your film uh, as well. So, that's um, funny. You've seen well, you've seen it. That's something. I mean, <laughs> it's not. It was like I said, it was a limited release, and it was never like really available like before that. You know what I mean? So, and I just kind of sat on it. Like I got, I used to send it out for reviews in like magazines back in the day, like um, Alternative Cinema. You know, reviewed it and. Um, you know, like uh, film threat and things like that. And I get reviews and these things. I never really did with them, anything with them. I didn't push them. I didn't take them to like a distributor or try to do anything. Maybe I could have got it out by, back then, but I didn't consider it good enough. You know, I was like, no, 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 that's not gonna. That's not. That, I, you know, I wasn't even thinking of that. It was more like just something to do with my friends, and we took it seriously. But I didn't think about getting it released. But then when some of these. Like I said, in 2012, there was kind of a bigger push with shot on video stuff, all this, and and uh, some of these kind of unearthed titles coming out, kind of old titles and, and things that they hadn't seen released before. And I was obviously I had a, a, you know movies out there people were aware of. My name meant something, so I was like, well, let's put it out and see what happens. And people people bought them up. Um, Anyway, it was, it was, I didn't mind that. I'm like, yeah, it's old. I know it's something I did a long time ago. I'm, I'm cool with it. You know what I mean? Like, I'm, you know. But that's where uh, the risks, I mean, I think of this is where the risks are taken. When it comes to big budget, there's no risks taken. They're, they've already been tried. Oh, yeah. But, uh, oh, yeah. A lot of the risks and, and written, uh, when, when you come to, like, new things, uh, things that people have never done before, it really is in that area where the really risks are taken. The, uh, all, all mistakes that can be made are made, uh, but real in reality, that's what, that's where all of the stuff that moves forward comes to. It's true. No, it's absolutely true. You, the more you think about, I mean, you have to, and you have to untrain your mind. The more movies you make and have released and and stuff, you know, the more you have to train your mind to kind of try to go back to your roots because it's easy to overthink it. And I have friends who who do this sometimes who kind of overthink the markets or what's popular now. And it's like, look, don't worry about it because frankly, what's popular now, it probably, you know, by the time your movie, if your movie gets made and released, by the time that happens, it'll be different. It'll be a whole new ball game. And frankly, if things are unique enough and have enough, something to offer, even if there's other films like that, they'll stand out. I mean, you know, they'll stand out and, and, uh, you know, films have a long life, you know? So I think you just have to be, you know, you need, look, you need to know what's out there. You need to be aware. I mean, you know, completely unaware, but I don't think you need to, to overthink it either. You know, things can definitely be overthought. The more experience you have, the more you, I mean, I have movies I made, like Evil Sister 2, we were talking about that earlier, and I'm like, I, I don't think I would make that now. I mean, like, <laughs> just to think that you could just go out in the desert for like a week and just shoot this thing and put people up in motels and just filming all these bloody scenes and all this stuff and, and uh, driving around and, I mean, it's, it, you know, it's probably, crazy, you know what I mean? You probably <laughs> would have had to but, do, uh, do it but I didn't at know better. I didn't know any better, so I went and did it, you know, <laughs> um, back in 98, you know. But, so you have to try to find, it's almost like split the difference. Like, you have to have part of you that's like, okay, I still want to keep, you know, be ambitious, but at the same time, you got to be like, well, you know, realistic on some level, too, um, about... I, I, I'm going to say something about uh, about some of your written work, uh, work that we haven't mentioned. Um, uh-huh. Nightmare and Shallow Point, Liars oh, and Liars 2. There's a reason why it hasn't been mentioned. <laughs> <laughs> You're the only one mentioning it. 
Well, I mean, just I would just briefly say that was something that I wrote. I wrote that movie originally. It was supposed to be shot here uh, on video, and then it that 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 production kind of folded. That okay. kind of fell apart within a few days, I guess, because I was there and saw it happen. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the person who 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 owned the script, who paid for the script basically decided to make it himself in New Jersey. And so he, on film, like, I think it was that same year. This was a long time ago now. But I think he did it that year or maybe the year after. And I think he even paid me to rewrite it or something like that and, and for, okay. for his, you know, locations. And that's what it was. And then he turned it into a comedy, too. <laughs> I mean, literally, like, turned it, not, a, not like a slight, like a horror comedy, like a Zucker Brothers comedy. I mean, like, it's, it does not bear, and I haven't even, I don't know if I've ever watched it all the way through, but I, I, I know I've seen enough of it to tell you that <laughs> it, didn't, it didn't bear resemblance to my script. I sound like one of those writers. It didn't bear any resemblance to the script I wrote. Well, it really didn't, <laughs> um, you know? But you know what? It's okay. You know, I'm kind of one of those, another one of those projects that gotcha. is so in the rearview mirror that... Was, and basically, it was not a ple- not an unpleasant experience because I was never supposed to be directing it here or anything anyway. So I was more just a writer okay. on that. And Liars and Liars too. Same, exact same situation, only my wife and I wrote those. Um, oh. And for the same person, the same guy. Oh, jeez. And, and, he, and he made them there. Like, like they, when we knew, the, and actually that we knew the drill too. Like, he's like, write them as horror and I'm going to turn them into comedies. <laughs> like, all right, at least you're honest, you know. Um, and we, we, I kind of knew that anyway from Nightmare on Shallow Point that that was kind of the idea with him. Um, and so we wrote, and those were great. I mean, for her, she'd just come here, and and we were once again, we like she wrote the first one, and I wrote, I wrote more of the second one a bit. But we both collaborated on those. Just kind of like fun things to do. We had to do them very quick though. They had to be written in a week. I remember. Um, <laughs> We had to, but not both of them. <laughs> that would be ridiculous. <laughs> it was just one <laughs> script in a week. Um, but yeah, I mean, they were like, you know, we got a week to write this, and you know, here's half up front and half on delivery, and and uh, that was it. So we okay. wrote those, and we wrote some others too that didn't get made. Um, but yeah. Alrighty. <laughs> well, uh, on to uh, some of the films that you want uh, that you wanted to come on to the show to talk about. Yeah, uh, right. Okay, um, we're going to get to those. <laughs> well, I, I just wanted, tuned out by now, I yeah. wanted to, uh, to get your entire story because I have never heard, uh, 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 heard it from your mouth. And I'm sure there are things that you've talked about that hasn't been heard before. So, Well, I, I'm probably because, I mean, I don't, I don't do, I mean, I do some interviews here and there, but not like, I'm not doing them all the time. And I've got a lot, I mean, different angles to approach these things from. Plus, I kind of like, I have different opinions about certain projects depending on when you talk to me. Like I might be a little softer, like witchcraft 12. I'm so much cooler with that movie than I used to be. Like, now I'm just like, yeah, man, it's kind of fun. You know, visual effects are, you know, guys flying through the door and all this kind of stuff, you know, eyeballs with electricity coming out. I'm like, yeah, okay. You know, <laughs> I'm with it now. Yeah. All right. So high eight, um, that was, uh, distributed by, uh, sub Rosa cinema, correct? Uh, no, 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 no. <laughs> they wanted to distribute it, That's but right. they did not. Um, no, it's, re- it's distributed by Wild Eye releasing. Um, although, I mean, there's sort of a connection there because Ron Bont 
directed one of the episodes uh, or one of the episodes, one of the segments. Yeah. Um, I, I believe that there was a VHS put out by them, though. Right? Yes, there was. Correct. Yes, there was. Well, no, so. no, not by them, but by, it was by Wild Eye. Everything with everything with those movies. The only thing I had released by Sub Rosa was uh, was the Pact, and that was the limited edition. That was a VHS, uh, kind of VHS DVD combo deal. Um, and that was it. But that was sort of how, you know, around that time, I was dealing with a lot of or meeting a lot of um, other indie filmmakers in different parts of the country. Um, and I say meeting them, I was meeting them on Facebook. Okay. And in this groups, and, you know, there's SOV groups. And Tim Ritter was one of, the, one of those people. And Donald Farmer was another one. And we're all, you know, there was a sort of general consensus around that time that, you know, like, oh, there's, there seems to be kind of like a renaissance of some of these things. People are getting into the you know, older stuff, analog stuff, and the VHS movies were coming out, and the anthologies. Mm-hmm. And Tim Ritter said, um, we ought to do a movie called High Eight, Horror Independent Eight. And that was at the end of 2012 when he said that. Okay. And, and I was like, that is a great idea. Um, that's a great title. I know a good title when I see one. And I and I got in touch with Tim and I said, if you if you're serious about this, we'll do it. We'll like we'll you know Josephine and I will we'll EP it through Nightfall and and organize it. Um, and and he was he was in he was all in. So that's yeah that's how that came together. And I started contacting directors. Obviously, me and Tim were 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 going to be doing something for it. And I started talking to other filmmakers it didn't take long i mean i think i probably had it crewed up within a day in terms of the directors um it was not hard to get people to get on board um there was a lot of excitement about the project not just from us in fact when i announced it uh, i put up a facebook page is what i did and then like the next day like yahoo movies ran a story about it and they're like oh you know look out look out vhs there's a new format in town and all this kind of stuff so we had a lot of buzz on it. A lot of people wanted to direct, who wanted to contribute, and I had to say, no, I'm sorry, we're already done. You know, we've already got everybody on board. We've already got a slate. And so everyone went out and just shot their shorts. Um, the idea with the film was just to keep it low-tech, keep it, you know, uh, analog and, and kind of old-school in the effects and the location shooting and the lighting and everything. And you know, just be creative, you know, okay. do what you want to do. So you, story, as long as it's a horror film, do whatever you want to do. So you have two segments in high aid, correct? Yeah, I do. I, I have two because I directed the one segment called the scout. And then I directed the wraparound. Okay. So, which is called uh, no budget films present, which if you look at my, those are like my old shorts, like literally talking about Virginia beach. That's like, the, that's what I called my company. So, so to speak back then was no budget films. Okay. And so that's, you know, those kids, uh, you know, who are in the, the wraparound are modeled very closely on me and my friends in Virginia Beach who are, you know, shooting horror movies. That's, that's what these kids are doing. You know, the idea with, this is before Stranger Things, by the way, mm-hmm. um, they're kids, you know, out shooting with a vintage, you know, camcorder and doing a horror film and they run into a real life horrific situation. So it's got a little bit of a sort of a stand by me or, you know, stranger things kind of feel to it. Okay. 
Um, it was fun. I mean, I, I enjoyed, I really enjoyed shooting the things I did. And uh, I thought a lot of the segments we got were really cool. I mean, everybody did something completely different. I didn't have to, like, you know, ask anyone to please change their script because someone else had a zombie film or something like that. I mean, everybody did a different type of uh, film. Okay. And we had the whole, I, I was surprised at how quick it came together. And we had the whole movie done completely finished by that fall, like fall of 2013. So, like, basically it was done within let's just say eight months, nine months of when I first announced it, which is pretty amazing when you got eight different directors all over the U.S., you know, <laughs> with different temperaments and different situations. Definitely. Uh, and different uh, commitments, you know, all shooting these things. So it came out well. We screened it in a lot of places. It played over 20 sets. It was very, very well received. It's the best received movie I've done since probably... I don't know, maybe to go back a while, maybe the Death Factory or something like that. Okay. It was, you know, it was really, I mean, people got on board, like Rue Morgue wrote a whole page about it. I mean, you know, press that you can't buy, <laughs> um, you know, literally. I mean, you know, there, were, there was a lot of enthusiasm. And so, yeah, and Wild Eye, we, you know, we went with Wild Eye because they, um, you know, they, they specialize in these types of films. I think they're one of the few distributors now, you know, I've worked for, a few of them who have a brand name in their movies. It means something for a movie to be a wild eye movie, just like it meant something for brain damage or full moon or whatever. Oh yeah, definitely. So it's, it's a brand identity. They're one of the few that have that. So anyway, uh, and Rob who runs the company is very cool and really a fan. I've talked about all these gruff guys I work for and Rob's not like that. He actually really likes these movies. He's not just, you know, yeah, whatever, slap it together. Who cares? You know, let's, let's you know, he's some product. He actually really, you know, he's a real fan. So, yeah, Wild Eye put it out in um, uh, the end of 2014. And they did do a VHS. And, and, you know, people. a lot of times people are more interested in the VHS than the DVD. Yeah, you know? that's because like uh, VHS. Going, hey, you guys, VHS, VHS, VHS has VHS come back like They don't want a DVD. You know, they want a VHS. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm like, all right, you know. But it was cool. And so that was, it was well received. And then we did... Um, going to production fairly soon in 2015 we started production on high death which okay. is the sequel now um, in between all that you were starting to write a book correct i was i was i i actually what kind of happened was i i don't know if i ever really thought about it that in, intently but i've always been a fan of, of what i call desert terror movies which are you know by the description horror and thriller films that are set in the southwest like the hitcher hills have eyes Okay. Duel, uh, Tremors, okay. Near Dark, From Dust Till Dawn. That's like a little short list, you know? But there's hundreds of these movies, and nobody ever classified them, and nobody ever put, a, put them all in a book, like a reference book, and, and named it, named the genre, and traced it, like all the different strains, because it's got a lot of different strains, Western horror and, uh, you know, uh, road movie horror, you know, hitchhiker horror, all these kind of things. They're all kind of in this, they all kind of fit into that, in that genre. Okay. So, yeah, I've always been a fan. I did a made a couple of things like that. And, and I was like, it was around the time we were, it wasn't right before it was High Death. It was kind of when we first started High Death because High Death got kind of off to a rocky start. And, you know, I sort of, you know, I had some health issues and I kind of pulled, pulled out of the, pulled back from the project. We didn't pull out of it. I said, you know, we're going to make this movie. We just, I just can't do this right now. And, um, thought to myself, well, you know, what about this 
what about a book? You know, what about writing a book, which I've mm-hmm. never done before? I've done a lot of writing. I'd written for cinema magazines and stuff, but I hadn't ever published a book. So I just kind of started putting it together. I just started making lists and kind of seeing if there was even a book there, you know, mm-hmm. if there were enough movies to fill a book. Mm-hmm. And then it turned out there were too many movies. <laughs> there were so many movies. I Like, at one point, I was talking to my wife about it, and I said, what do you think about Australian stuff? And she's like, don't do that. <laughs> so like, if, you, if you start doing Australian, you know, exploitation and, you know, South African horror and all that, you're never going to finish this, you know? <laughs> Uh, which is true. You know, I love those films, but it's true. It was, that's almost like a whole other book in itself. Mm-hmm. So, um, so anyway, I, I it took me about it took me. Re- I mean, I guess it took me about a year. I mean, I started it in 2015, and it was published. It was finally published last year, okay. like in the, the summer, like almost a year ago. It was like July. Um, it was published by McFarland. Actually, it was published in May. Well, it wasn't July, it was May. So it, it took about a year from when I signed the contract to the, to the book came out. So basically, you know, it took me about a year and plus to really write it and do some drafts, show it to a few people. Uh, I had fun writing it. It was it was pretty intensive work. I gave myself a next, you know, problem. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Uh, right. Well, it was more from like having my head down. You know, I wasn't. I should have had my head raised up more when I was writing. But whatever. I I know now. But um, but I had a hell of a lot of fun. I mean, I I discovered a lot of movies writing it. You know, it was like there were the movies that you know you want to write about, like The Hitcher, um, and and you're almost afraid to write about them because you love them so much and you you want to do them justice mm-hmm. and you want to convince people why well, they need to see it too. And you know, were you why looking it's a at it? Movie, why it's a, uh, were you looking at it from your filmmaker's pers- uh, eye, or were you just uh, uh, writing about general knowledge about it? It was it was both. It was I actually there's no way I could ever not be a filmmaker and write about these things. Like mm-hmm. I showed it to a friend of mine who works in development, um, and he said, "This is a filmmaker's book." Like he's like, "This is so you're such a director writing this because it has a lot of details about the sound." You know, I talk about the sound design and certain technical things here and there that it probably would not be in like a normal theoretical book. Mm-hmm. Um, at the same time, I, I, and, and I should also say, I know some of the people very well who made some of these movies. Mm-hmm. And I was trying to find a middle ground a lot of times where I'm like, you know, I got to be honest oh, about yeah. these, these films, but I don't, you know, I'm not here to like burn all my bridges well, yeah. with every filmmaker I'm friends <laughs> with either. And to be honest with you though, the whole tone of the book from the beginning, whether I knew the filmmakers or not, was to support the movies and spotlight them and make people want to see them, not trash them. Because I don't understand when people write a book about, let's say, zombie films or, or Charlie Band movies or whatever, and they go, this movie sucked, this movie sucked, this movie blew, this movie sucked. It's like, what? Well, why, why did you write the book then? I mean, if you hate these movies so much, well, I mean, how did you get through it, you know? For me, it's... it's it's more of a challenge to write about things you do like and convince people why they're good and, you know, and put those, uh, you know, examples out there instead of it's easy to trash stuff. It's easy to pick up on what didn't work or what you didn't like about something. Um, so I want it to be like an overall positive book, I guess I could say. Um, and I did take, take, try to take myself out of it as much as I could, but there were times where, you know, I couldn't. You had to tell the truth. You know, and you're, and you're like, um, and okay, I, I, I this... just wanted people to come along on a ride. Like I tried to try to like use my screenwriting background to give it like a narrative flow. 
so it actually feels like a, a journey that you're moving through time and space as opposed to just like here's a list of reviews and here's three stars here's two stars it's not like that it's it's uh yeah a tin can tastes like chicken <laughs> well yeah yeah it's, it's just you know you know what i mean i just kind of try to do something different i look you know like i, I didn't have to look at a lot of things because i i own you know i have a library of, of books like this and i was trying to if anything trying to measure up to some people's work uh that was inspiring to me when i was younger or even now you know um mm -hmm. i'm a fan of so definitely uh so um hi death uh yeah. when did that end up uh finishing and i see that you uh, also... finally finished let's see it finished last year oh, oh, I, oh i know it was finished i know it, I know it was finished it was finished in like march of last year march okay. of 2018 so that movie took years to finish yeah um, and the reason for that is we had some people that, you know, wanted to be involved and then ultimately they weren't able to, uh, to do anything. I had some health issues. One of the other filmmakers had some family issues to deal with. I mean, this is, this is just called life, you know? Mm -hmm. And when you're making a film, these are true independent films, you know, that we're talking about now. Um, these are, these are not films with a hard finishing date and all this. So the point of it is to me more important for people to, to keep the people on board that we really like working with, like Tim Ritter or Todd Sheets, um, and let them do something really cool that they want to do when they feel comfortable doing, when they feel confident doing it, and when they have the right circumstances. And so that's what we ended up doing. And that applies to me, too. You know, I mean, I, I wasn't really ready to direct the segment until I really finished the book, at least until I delivered it and, uh, or I should say delivered it. I sent it out and got a, got a publisher for it. Um, you know, so it took a while, and then post took a while. Post-production just, we have a really cool editor, uh, Chris LaRusso, who also works on big shows. He works on How to Get Away with Murder, um, you know, things for Shonda Rhimes. So he's nice and cool enough to take us in and edit our film and baby it and nurture it and everything and, and get it completed um, while he's also, you know, doing other things, too, and bigger things. Okay. So... So the schedule, you know, the schedule went a bit longer than we wanted it to, but the good side of it is I feel like the movie, and we had five segments in this too. We had like eight in the other one. I guess we had nine total. This one's got like six total. Mm -hmm. um, it's, I think it's a stronger movie overall than High Eight. I think it's, you know, technically superior, but that's not really the point. I think it's deeper. The segments are a bit longer and have more depth. And, you know, uh, I think I kind of figured out some things about the wraparound that make the wraparound smoother and more involving and, um, you know, that type of thing. So, okay. so anyway, we'll see. We've gotten some good reviews so far, and it's coming out tomorrow. Cool. <laughs> so you're, you're literally speaking to me on the eve of, uh, the, eve of the release. Awesome. You know? And once again, it's with Wild Eye and... Wild Eye is also once again doing a VHS for it, and nice. So um, uh, ultimately, you, uh, af after that, you, you started streaming and all that. So yeah, it's very uh, exciting. Definitely. Um, now I see that uh, that you wrote one more thing for the, uh, this year, a uh, little documentary sort called Anatomy of a Scream. 
or is that you? Hmm. That's a making of. That's a um, that's a making of for our segment, like in High Death. Okay. Like High Death, the segment I did for High Death, or for the, the main segment I did, aside from the wraparound, is called Cold Read. And it's about this actress that goes to an audition that turns into a nightmare, like the worst audition ever. <laughs> and uh, we kind of based it on like things we've seen, experiences we've had, and um, and then took it, you know, ten degrees, you know, ten, you know, uh, degrees, you know, from that. And uh, so we, did, you know, we made that short. And actually, the actress in that this was pretty cool. The the actress we ended up getting for the lead is this Fabiana Formica, who was in Cemetery Man. She was, uh, she was in, she plays the girl who's like head, gets like their head cut off and she's like a floating head and she's um, a zombie and all that. You know, she hadn't done a horror film since she was a teenager, like since she was in Cemetery Man and then she came into our audition and we thought she was great. And then we're looking at her credits, we're like, wow, this is, this is the same girl from Cemetery Man, you know? <laughs> so that was pretty cool. As a big Italian horror fan, I, I love that, you know? Um, so she plays, she's the actress who goes to the Nightmare Audition. And we did a, making of for that that you know it's an extra on the uh on the dvd so that's what anatomy of the scream is very cool so um uh did you have any other um uh, 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 anything else that you'd uh, like to discuss or talk uh, talk about on here while we're still i can't imagine what that would be (laughs) (laughs) i I always give a little I always give a little bit uh, segment to uh, to let uh, let you speak if there's anything that you haven't talked about. Oh and no, then... no, I, I appreciate that. I mean, I the only thing I would probably bring up at this point is is that uh, we are doing we are in production on um, as in things have already been shot are being edited on a third anthology film called High Fear, and that is our main you know focus right now. Okay. So well, that's, you know, it's it is some the, of the same, it some is of the same the, filmmakers and, uh, you know, it's, it, it's, I think it's, you know, we, we, we didn't originally envision High Death or High Eight being a trilogy, just like we never thought Camp Blood would be a trilogy. Well, it is, it does seem People to responded be, responded to it, so, It know. does seem to be the age of the anthology, because a lot of anthologies are coming out. It, it, it is, and what's, but what's kind of good is, like, there was a period when High Eight came out, it was a lot of them. It seemed like everybody and their brother was doing one. There were tons of them, some bigger, some smaller. And then it kind of like, it's kind of like petered out a little bit lately. Like some of the, the ones like ABCs of Death and VHS, they sort of seem like they finished up. Like most of these things, they kind of finish up with three films. And they and they went through it quick. I mean, well, those yeah, franchises the, the, seem like they, they were over like almost before they were the started. I think the biggest anthology kick years. right now is the one that Tony Newton is doing with the the, uh, the grind exploitation stuff. Right. I'm, I'm. You actually asked me to do one for that, and I wasn't able to do it. Um, <laughs> I know what those are. Um, they're fine. You know, the fake trailers and things like that. And then there's this, I guess, you know, put yeah. exploitation on the end of anything. You know, like it's. Just take a word, lawnmower exploitation. You know, just you know, there's got to find find a move, find a theme, and, and make some stuff about it. Um, yeah, I think that's cool. I mean, I think that some of these movies are a little bit too thrown together. It's a little bit too hands off. Mm-hmm. Um, we're very hands on about these movies, and being Josephine and I, and and uh, we really get involved creatively and. You know, we want the fish. We try to shape these films to fit a theme, and to you know, and even the arrangement of the segments. There's a real art to that. Sort of something I've learned, uh, to be honest with you. 
over doing two movies, this sort of created kind of like an up and down, sort of a fluctuation kind of a thing going on when you, you know, peaks and valleys, so to speak, when you're uh, putting these things in order. So we really, you know, try to make these as special as, as, and, as they can be. Um, you know, we're not really, even if people are technically making them different places and they're mailing them to us and all this, we keep in touch with them, you know, for years during the process. And they're kept abreast of what we're doing and they let us know what they're doing on their end. And so it's, it's a, a little bit of a family environment we have, even if we don't get to see each other that often. <laughs> um, you know, I've, I've, I've been able to meet some of the filmmakers from High Eight and High Death and some of them I haven't met yet uh, in person. But yeah, so we're, we're trying to, I think we, we're standing out from the pack. Um, but yeah, there are a lot of anthologies being made. I'm not going to deny that, you know, okay. um, it's, uh, and it's, I think it's a, a, a symptom of the times because it's just, you know, how things are financially nowadays. It's, you know, <laughs> sometimes easier to make a film like this for, for every filmmaker than for, you know, for any one of us to, to raise the funds and go through the whole process of making entire feature. But that, that said, I'm looking forward to doing another feature, uh, in the future. I'm going to, we're going to do high fear and do some really cool stuff and, I already know what some of the segments are, and I've even seen stills and seen images, and there's some cool stuff, uh, and there's going to be some cool stuff in this movie, you know. Um, they're, they just exercise your brain in a different way, too, as a, as a viewer and also as a producer. You kind of, you know, think, think about things differently than you do when you just do a regular feature. So Definitely, man. Well, it's all, They're all different. It's, to me, every movie, it's always like, what can we do that we didn't do before? You know, whether it's a short for an anthology, it's a feature, or it's whatever it is. What have we not? What have I not done before? And I'm getting to do some things on these films, on High Eight and High Death, that I would would not have gotten the opportunity to do with some of the people I've worked with in the past. That just wouldn't have happened. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so for me, it's a little bit of like going back to my roots and and doing some things that are weirder and they're not falling into the usual genre you know uh, cliches or the usual boxes that yeah. you know, flash or box or whatever the heck there's nothing not there's anything wrong with that but i've already done that you know <laughs> but it's nice to do something different that you haven't definitely haven't done before definitely. so yeah so that's my main thing i guess i would be i would be talking about but yeah i definitely say look for high death i mean it's everywhere it's on amazon and high too and Plagers, like I said, Plagers will be coming out in the special edition later, uh, later like in the fall. Nice. So I'll be having. I'll ha- you'll see things about it on my my page and the Nightfall page. If you want to see what we're doing, Nightfall Pictures is on Facebook. That's the That's quickest way to next. see like quick updates. You know, our new like up to the minute updates, and of course, High Eight and High High Death have their pages too. So you know. Awesome. Well, I appreciate your time and your patience for coming on and uh, talking with uh, me and uh, my friend Brandon here. Brandon, is there anything else you'd like to say? Well, as somebody who is uh, from the area, it's definitely been a pleasure to actually get to speak to somebody who has um, inspired me a lot when it comes to my collecting and uh, as far as uh, movies are concerned. uh, shows me that there is a lot uh, more to uh, check into. Yeah, no, no, thank you, man. I'm, I'm, you know, I, I appreciate everybody who's ever 
picked up a you know rented or bought a dvd or a tape or whatever of any movie i've had a hand in and uh you know, i'm really glad you like within the woods that that means a lot to me because that movie they're all special to me really um but that one frankly i have an even warmer feeling towards uh, as a filmmaker and and i and i think it's a you know i thought we made a pretty fun movie pretty cool movie and i'm just glad you uh i'm glad you liked it Alrighty. Well, um, I think that's all the time that we have uh, for today. So uh, yeah. why don't we um, why don't we um, uh, say goodnight to the folks that are out there, uh, uh, there uh, and uh, we'll uh, uh, we'll let uh, let this get into the editing room. And uh, <laughs> uh, um, as far as anything uh, goes, thank you for uh, coming on. Uh, have a great day, evening, or morning, wherever you are. <laughs> Yeah, and, no, thank uh, you, man. You, you too. You guys too. Um, it's been a pleasure. Uh, um, hold on for a sec after the sh uh, sh uh, show. I got something to tell you. Oh, so, okay. Um, uh, in, in, say, uh, that so, in so saying, good night, everyone. Nice job, Kermit. Thank you. 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 <laughs>